0: Holy crap. What's up, everybody? It's Steve with Range minded Podcast, and I feel pretty privileged because I'm actually in the Boise Valley tonight.
1: Yeah, it's
0: about time you make I, it over. I here. know it. Right there, you got Nick Hoffer, as usual. And we actually have two other guests. One you already heard from. Drew. Shy Drew is what we're calling him. the one yeah, who said you he didn't... Should, yeah, call, I don't, me shy, I don't, call me Shy Drew. I don't want, want to talk to anybody and then, <laughs> can, like, talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> That's kind of like when I did my first podcast. I think we did a show on that like when i was so scared to go on that first Forger potential podcast and then now i'm on I, one every weekend yeah it's no biggie yeah but we do have somebody else that we talked about on instagram and made a big deal about and we're, and we're fawning over it. well he's he's <laughs> smoking cigars in my shop which is a huge no-no because they're i don't know and he's ashing in one of the patriot trades he he's testing like, his durability. Yeah, like he owned the place. Walked in while we were talking to <laughs> Drew on we're air. We're gonna take some pictures on what he's wearing too. By the way, <laughs> it's Ryan from Fieldwork. Ryan, what's up?
2: Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I can confirm and not deny that the Patriot trays do hold up to cigar ash. <laughs> and,
0: and well, it looks that. like yeah, well, very well that one already looks like it was kind of melted. So you're good. Yeah, yeah. it's like a two for two for one. You know, so go for it. Well, now we can add that to the recommended uses for the paper. Yeah. That's, I mean, you can smoke a lot of cigars. There's, that's a lot of ash you can put in one <laughs> of those trays. Or whatever you smoke. I mean, what if? Like mixed neighbors. Yeah, apparently somebody around the shop here is a big weed smoker. I mean, it's, it's obvious. It is very obvious. Yeah. So I went over to Terry's. Terry's, we've had Terry on the show before. I walk in there and I'm like, dude, he's like, what? I'm like, can you smell that? He's like, Does it smell like weed? I'm like, yes, it smells like weed. It's like, well, I'm not smoking it. Like, I know. I wouldn't think so.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things. uh, It's not legal here, so I can't confirm or deny any kind of wrongdoing. But uh, uh, all around the country where things have opened up, you can kind of smell things everywhere. It's really weird. Uh, I never felt the need to
0: uh, push the envelope, so to speak.
2: But uh, I doubt that I ever would.
0: Yeah. It doesn't appeal to me. No. When I uh, worked for said energy
1: company, <laughs> <laughs> when I worked for said, like this said right here,
0: yeah, when I worked for said energy company, uh, we plug. did plenty of uh, market tours in uh, Denver, uh, Colorado, yeah. Denver and Aspen, and so on and so forth, setting up for X Games and everything like that. Yeah, so, right, Aspen. oh yeah, um, anywhere, anywhere that you walked, I mean, it was uh, it was something that you smelled on the, on the trail yeah. over there. I went. We went to shot show a couple of years ago. I took my wife. And She's she's not used to any kind of smells like that. She's like, what <laughs> is that? And I was like she's like, is that a skunk? We're downtown Vegas. Sure, yeah, it's a skunk. I was like, no, that's not a that's not a skunk. What is it? Like, that's weed. Man, Vegas is bad. Yeah. Bless their hearts. I, I still I haven't experienced the whole like wanting to smoke weed thing. 30, 33 years old and I could care less about. It. Dude, I got a buddy that's like all about it. Even though he's He's like, he doesn't say he does it, but it's pretty obvious. You know what's weird is I grew up, uh, born and raised in Southern
2: California. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal, you know. Uh, as a kid, law enforcement, if you got caught with some sort of weed or on you, uh, you didn't get in trouble unless it was over a certain amount of weight. You know, so it's like an ounce, basically. So whatever that is, not that I know what an ounce weighs. But. <laughs> so, because, you, because you
0: said weight, so I remember there was one time when I was a teenager, and I saw a pound of weed, and it was like a big black trash bag. Yeah. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of weed! Yeah. Like a pound is a lot. Like twenty-five gallon trash bag. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: A lot. yeah especially <laughs> if you don't ways. smoke, yeah, it's, a, it's a lot to look at. But if you're a pothead, and it's not, leaking are <laughs> like, you're like, oh, that's yeah. a weekend. Yeah. I'll burn it through that <laughs> a couple months. Yeah, uh, but they don't. Uh, the law enforcement in uh, Southern California ever since I can remember, really, and I'm 42 now, uh, they would just, if it was less than announced, they would just have you throw it on the ground and step on it and just kind of whisk it off into the wind or whatever, and you would just get cut loose. Uh, anything over announced, you get, you know, you might get a ticket or something, but anything over announced, you get hooked up. But uh, so that being said, it wasn't that big of a deal to most dudes that were floating around. It's like, the cops are, you're not even going to get in trouble if you have it. So what what's the... Uh, Risk reward
0: ratio. Most people there. don't get in trouble now, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So wow. they, don't, they don't get in trouble in California for DUIs anymore. Yeah. Like I have a good, I have a really good friend that I graduated high school with, and he's a uh, he's a sheriff over there. And I was like, um, I was like, hey, how's everything going over there? And he said, oh, you know, with all the law changes and everything like that, he said, literally, like somebody who who's somebody who's drunk driving, like literally, we hand yeah. them a citation, we tell somebody to come pick them up. And then that's the end of it. Like we don't even take we don't even take anybody to jail anymore. Well, they don't want to burden the jails, right? They don't want to put too many more people in there. Like he's well, like the war it's... on drugs is over. So, and who won? <laughs> uh, just one, though. Well, I'm gonna say that the government won because they got to put enough people in jail to make a whole shit come. Well, the only way players. the only reason the government won is because they're playing both sides of the team. There, <laughs> true. We can sell drugs and we can buy drugs. Control the flow. Yep. Right. It's blind demand. Anyway, so Ryan, for those of those of them that don't know, listening to this show, because we just kind of jumped into it, because we yeah. were having a really good discussion off air. And I got my ass chewed. Why I'm, are you recording, Steve? And I told <laughs> Steve, you know, we should have started this like fifteen minutes ago. Um, oh, yeah. what what do you do? Just a so quick whatever you what, want what can tell you us, say that you do? do?
2: Yeah, so you you gotta drop a couple of octaves first. You know, hello, my name is Ryan Atkinson. My handle security matters for celebrities abroad. Uh, <laughs> uh, I look after I look after rock stars and pop stars basically. So the last twenty years, I've been on tour with um, celebrities from all across the spectrum. Whatever you listen to, it's usually rock. The last uh, twelve years or so. Um, but yeah, I look after, uh, when I tell people I look after rock stars, like, what does that mean, look after? <laughs> like, What are you talking about? Uh, uh, security. So if you come out and tell people you're a quote-unquote bodyguard, uh, it comes off as a very douchey. Uh, people that are in the security yeah. world don't call themselves a bodyguard no matter what. Uh, nobody that I know or work around has ever called themselves a bodyguard. It's kind of like a, let's say, diminu- diminutive? 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 Uh, uh, it's kind of a, you're lowering yourself, you're, you're, you know, you're security director, you look after people, you do more than security. Uh, security is one aspect of what you do. Yeah, we heard so. a fantastic story that we're not going to talk about. Oh, okay. In- Unless okay. you want to talk about it.
1: Oh, no, no, no that one, no. <laughs> if, we're, uh,
2: if we're bending the law, I don't talk about
1: <laughs> it yet. There was no uh, bending of the law.
2: Well, not for my sake. Yeah, but you're for safe. the people that are helping me bend yeah, the well, law. That safe. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I can never throw those guys under the bus. I, I would I never, never
1: suggest that anyway. Yeah. So,
2: you know, uh, it's weird in, in the rock and pop world, if you're someone that's of high profile and you're a celebrity, you get away with a lot of things. Uh, you, could, you could bend the rules, so to speak. So I've lived in that area for the last you know, two decades. So uh, the way I act around people is indicative to the way I live from sure. the road. So I try to keep uh, everything sorted out and squared away as much as possible, but there's always a gray area in my world. So that's where I live.
0: It's awesome. Well there Absolutely. you go. If you didn't if you didn't know who Ryan was or Follow Field Works, now you know. And, and maybe even some of your favorite celebrity pictures if you see him on tour, you might have seen Ryan standing. Who is who is that person that you always post pictures with? It's a it's a female. What was her name?
2: Oh, <laughs> let me think. Uh, you mean uh, Hillary Duff, yeah. Oh,
0: it was definitely Hillary.
2: Yeah. Duff. yeah. Hillary's like a little sister. Uh, I worked with Hillary on payroll for eight years so i was a i started as her security person then turned into her assistant and turned into a day-to-day manager so i was managing everything and and with a person like that you've got all kinds of stuff going on you got you know tv film uh radio you know music type stuff you've got uh uh, you're a brand at that point so sponsorships and and brand stuff to deal with when I was with her, she had hired uh, some folks that were looking after the Olsen Twins, Dual Star Entertainment, Greg Redlitz. Uh, uh, those guys were, were kind of nuts. They take your brand and they make it another thing. If you want to sell uh, pillows to people in Singapore, that, that, that's a different type of branding. You know? like <laughs> right. it, it, how would you ever uh, control the amount of bedspreads and pillows you sold to Singaporeans? You would never know who bought what. So guys like this come in and they, they put your brand out there to the entire world. They have those contracts, those connections all around the world and they, they get you paid for stuff that you would never have your finger on if it wasn't for a person like that. So sure. they, the whole world uh, opens up when you hire people that are branding type folks
0: around the world. Yeah. My wife just commented on the live feed that Nick is doing right now on his Instagram and she said, I love Hillary Duff and So like when I told when I told her like I met you and everything, she's and I was like, Ryan's like one of the nicest, like, like you would not expect Ryan to be the person that he is. And <laughs> like literally, like from meeting you from the very first time, like out and then like you like explained your job description to me. I was like, that does not fit like your personality. Like, you <laughs> yeah. were like, you were like one of the nicest, like like people get into like, and this happens all the time, like people get intimidated by people that tattoos or like are very
1: you know. Ryan doesn't
0: have any tattoos. Oh yeah Ryan has zero, zero tattoos. I think the only part of him that's not tattooed is his face.
2: my face and hands, yeah. Yeah that's about it.
1: I got my toes done recently. I saw that that
0: Like people get intimidated by that and like literally like like when I met you for the first time, I'm like, dude, like he's like seriously like for like his background and for what he does, like he's like one of the nicest one of the nicest people that I've ever met in my entire life and so, well, like,
2: thank you for that.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. He's not really that nice. I've hung out with him. <laughs> and he's not being Nice.
2: Nick's seen a different side of me. That's a glimpse, but yeah, yeah there's a there is a a duality of man and well, all of us. He's, right. He's the only person that not, that can chug a beer faster than me. Well, right now.
0: well, we're about tie.
2: I think you know, but I'm <laughs> happy to tie is, over, over and over. I do
0: not think it's a tie. I think you have him beat, but I think Drew's been practicing because he he was adamant. <laughs> That he was going to chug a beer against you.
2: Yeah, well, I haven't been practicing this. This ingrained in my chromosome, so <laughs> I'm happy to go anytime. But yeah, the, the attitude thing, it's, it's weird because uh when you work with people that are celebrities and, and travel around and do stuff, you don't want to, uh, you, you can't walk around motherfucking people. You can't walk around beating the shit out of people. It's just not reality. So whatever uh, people have in their mind, uh, with a bodyguard or a security person that, some kind of badass gonna you know, whoop everyone's ass and kill everybody. It's, it's not the case, you know. You're a communicator, you're a planner, you're a person that puts yourself in front of that person and, and gets things done. Uh, if, it, if there is no one around a celebrity or someone that's like a household name that's walking around Earth, if there's no one there in a professional capacity to manage that movement and the things that are going on, nothing will happen because everyone will stare at the celebrity and take pictures with that person. And uh, there, nothing actually uh, productive will get done. So you have to have somebody around that will push the schedule, push the itinerary, and just in a nice way, get things done, make the connections, and have an understanding of what we're doing. You know, So uh, you should know what you're doing before you go in, but uh, it's a clarity. And you can turn around to your client and say, here's what we're doing. Three 15-minute interviews, and we're going to start in 10 minutes. Are you good to go? What do you need? Here's what we're talking about. Here's your talking points. Here's what you're promoting. Go.
0: I feel like I need to hire Ryan when I go to events because I spend the whole time bullshitting over here. Ten minutes over here turns into an hour of me talking, and then I turn around. And I'm like, "Oh shit, I was supposed to be there." Yeah, like I understand oops. exactly what yeah. you're talking about.
2: Getting me. sidetracked is a thing, and that's what I'm there for—is to have my watch on, to point of my watch when needed. You know, no, no, uh, five minutes. <laughs> it, uh, good interviewers will stand, will sit there face to face with your client while you walk behind your client and do the. A five-minute call. Last question. Last question. Oh yeah, you know, there we go. They give you the quick nod and just keep talking. So you might see that in the entertainment yeah. tonight or, or whatever interviews now. With someone looking up and you know, going, okay, <laughs> uh, good interviewers will will do that. Will understand what you're
0: doing in the handler. Yeah. So, do you outside of the security and the things the direction that you're doing now is there? A, is that your background? Like. Did you do this before?
2: Uh, so I haven't done anything else as an adult uh, in my life. Uh, I started doing security when I was 22. So uh, I graduated from University of Kansas. I played football, graduated. Uh, NFL wasn't in, in my cards. It's not, it's one in 1%, 2% of kids' yeah. cards. So it, it wasn't, I'm the 98% that didn't make it to NFL. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a failure. You just didn't make it, you know? Uh, so I got hired by a guy named Pete Beetle out of Kansas City. He ran a company called MPB, and uh, he hooked me up with uh, Pearl Jam. And I went out as a 22-year-old. Uh, you know, I became Pearl Jam's venue security person on tour, which right is, on. you know. That I, was
0: your first?
2: My very You're... first job as an adult was Pearl Jam. <laughs> Riot Act Tour. So it's weird to get thrown in the deep end like that, and there's some failures along the way, which you know, I'm not ashamed to admit. I'm a kid. It helps you grow, right? Well, yeah. I came out of the bar, you know. I was, I was bouncing out of bar in Lawrence Kansas, and now I'm security director for the band Pearlsham, a band that I listened to as a kid. You know, I listened to a ten album over and over sure. my tape player. So uh, every little kid's
1: dream.
2: Yeah, it's weird, but you know, once you get introduced to the band, you're like, these are human beings. Okay, the band. Here's what we're doing. You understand the the, the uh, what what they're doing out there. What what? Why are they there? It's not for fun. It's a business, you know. Yeah. So the more you get, you know ingrained in the business aspect of things, the more you start to understand as a security person what your job is. And it's to avoid litigation and to avoid any kind of uh, the band getting pulled into court for whatever they didn't do. You know, it's just, uh, Everybody wants to sue famous people, rich people for whatever different reasons. So your job is to kind of curb that, to be proactive.
0: So I know that you've told me that you've traveled to a lot of different countries. This kind of takes us over into the things that you do outside of the Glitz and glamour of running around with celebrities all day long. Um, we've talked on the show before uh, about some of the training that you do, but before we get into that stuff, kind of, kind of tell us what it's like to travel to other countries. I know you can't, we can't carry guns in these other countries, so I think that you told me in the past that's kind of where all of this other training, the knife stuff, the hand-to-hand, the, uh, yeah. evasion type stuff that you teach other people, like that's
1: where
2: it came from yeah uh people in the united states get very comfortable with their pistol or their firearm Yep, you can carry it everywhere as long as i have my pistol i could shoot any human on earth and just win the fight it's american uh, dream right yes yeah, it's, it's the american way right we get have our pistol and do stuff with it and we're good at it once you take that off you realize what it really is you know and uh you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe, Southeast Asia, South America, you name it. I'm all over the place. You know, in the last 20 years, I've worked in 53 countries, right? So it's a lot. Uh, you move around from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I've got news for you. You cannot carry your firearm as a personal security person in any other country. Right? Canada, Mexico doesn't really matter uh, unless you're on some, some sort of government paperwork or uh, contract work. It's not going to happen. You're not gonna get hired by a celebrity and be the quote unquote bodyguard and travel with your gun and shoot people. It doesn't happen. It cannot happen. Uh, so you start to learn how to source things locally. So if I can't pack it, source it. If you can't source it, pack it type thing. So uh, you learn how to figure out you learn how to figure out how to, how to get things locally everywhere you go without saying too much. Uh, you rely on people that are local to take care of you. And to give you what you need. And that's a weird bond that you have to form over years or over time. Uh, when you meet somebody new in a different part of the world, you don't necessarily trust that person, even sure. if they're a security counterpart. You just don't really believe what they're saying, and you're vigilant and you're all over them. And then after, you know, I've been out of 20 years. So, for example, when I go to Brazil, if I go to Rio or Sao Paulo or Curitiba, whatever it is, Belo Horizonte. I know people in those cities, in those markets where I can hire them. I, I trust them. I believe what they're going to say. And they don't lie to me. So they can source local law enforcement and whatever we need on the local side, and I can carry that stuff around. But uh, it doesn't really make sense to carry a firearm in other countries. You move so fast that you will get jammed up in buildings or airports or whatever it is. And you just don't want to have that stuff on you. You're just going to get in massive trouble. So you insulate yourself with local guys that have guns and know how to use them. And uh, you, you, you go on with your business of, of managing these artists. So um, it's weird. The, the world of security becomes a management uh, world at some point. And you have to think of yourself as a manager, not a security person
0: at, at a certain level. Well, it kind of takes the stigma out of it, like you're saying. It, Yeah. The bodyguard just translates as asshole. Yeah. But so I had no idea that. You spent more time coordinating, scheduling, yeah. maintaining way more other aspects of that personality's life than just safety. Yeah, I won't say who it is,
2: but uh, it's a, a former SEAL Team 6 Gold Squadron guy that I'm a friend of, and mm-hmm. a, a great resource for shooting and everything else. and tactics great guy, by the way. And he says that uh, amateurs talk about Tactics. Professionals talk about logistics. That's and not the
0: guy that gave me a bloody nose. No, 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 no. Yeah, different guy. Like, yeah. yeah,
2: different guy. That's the guy like, wait that's wait going a to oh, give it's, me it's it's,
0: so it's it's so you Because Drew said that, and I was like, wait, I don't think that's. Oh, the guy. okay. So we're not
2: talking about that's the same a, guy. That's an SF guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's so the we're not about same guy. Okay. And we are talking about someone else in that context, and he was like, well, you're a professional because you talk about logistics. You don't talk about tactics. You know, and I'm not clearing rooms and stuff. I don't do that. I don't go and shoot people in the face. I'm talking about movement and moving people around the world, what does it take? Who's with us? Are there 15 people with us? How many cars on the inside? If you got one van on the side of 15 people, you're gonna get jammed up. What's the luggage doing? It's all about where am I going next, you know? And everybody focuses on that suit and tie MP5 on the tarmac with the private jet <laughs> shit. It's not reality. The reality is who's with me and what are we doing? I can only the-
0: imagine like how much shit is going through your brain all the time while you're working constantly like everything that's i mean we talk about situational awareness on the show we talk about knowing what's going on but you're literally watching and seeing everything and having to figure out your next three to four moves with 15 people in tow yeah you
2: you can see anyone with half a brain can see what's happening in front of them it's not about that it's what's happening next yeah. So it's being good at that. Where are we going now? Okay, that's cool. What is what's on the schedule the rest of the day, and putting everything in perspective and timing and, and the schedule and just managing that schedule. You know, uh, you can get carried away talking to your buddy for an hour. Imagine if you're a celebrity in a room full of people that are everybody wants a piece of you. You get yeah. sucked in that vortex for five six hours. Like, no, we're here to work. There's a schedule of things. You know, I can't give my energy to everybody, so enter Ryan, (laughs) you manage these people because a celebrity has got to be cool and and nice to everybody and oh yeah, and not to be the dick that says,
0: hey, look,
1: we're not doing that
0: right now. So does the reason that you become the so-called manager, is that because they try to keep less people around them? Because I always just assumed that, like, you have, like, the security guys, the guys that took care of the security and the stuff like you're doing, and there would be a, a manager and, like, somebody who was managing... Where they needed to be, who they needed to talk to. But it sounds like what you're saying is you kind of do all of them.
2: Yeah, it's funny. i uh, quote a person that I met early on in, in my career uh, that told me a line I manage the managers. So everybody's got a, an angle. You know, you have your music manager, you got your film manager, you got your personal manager, your mom manager, whatever it is. All these people come uh, into one room and everybody wants you to do something. So they'll spend that attention currency that you have. Every, every morning you wake up, you only have so much shit in your brain. You can't right. deal with endless amounts of stuff. So they'll go in there and say, I want this, I want that, I want that. Everyone wants to program their little section into your schedule. But then it's up to me to kind of find a balance in that, you know, uh, to read your client. Is that person becoming exhausted with the same questions over and over? When you go to a, a press tour, a, a virtual press tour, you go to CNN or whatever it is, uh, you're on film remotely talking to a hundred markets you know, mm-hmm. in two days. And even though they're 10 minute interviews, two days full of 10 minute interviews turns into a, a shitload of talking mm-hmm. a lot of energy, you know? So just managing, managing which ones to cut, which ones to push forward or to reschedule. It's a, it's, it's an art, it's a craft, you know, you get to learn that shit. I was going
0: to say, is there anything, because <clears throat> you played football in college, is there anything in your life that you felt like helped you or benefited benefited you to get to your point where you are now?
2: You know what's funny? Uh, as far as schooling or, or anything else, no. Uh, I tell people and I do classes and I do courses and I teach people things. Uh, I kind of open up with, I have never missed a day of school. I have never missed a day of work. And it's true. I never have. No one, no one in the world could tell you that I've not showed up to work. Uh, we're meeting here at 7 p.m. I show up yep. at 7 p.m. That's the way it goes. I put my shoes on, I put my gear on. I got my well, stuff in this, in this case. Crops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I show up, and I'm ready to rock. Like I'm ready to do it. Yeah. And that's been my life, you know, since I was a kid. And it comes from my parents. You know, like my parents never allowed me to not go somewhere or to or something off. Or you know, I got I got chicken pox in the summer when we're on break. I got the flu in the summer when when we're at the pool and stuff. I had to stay at home and train juice or whatever. I never got sick. I never was absent. Uh, and then over time, I learned that, you know, my dad, and my mom, they never missed work. My brother never missed school. I got a, a trophy when I graduated from high school that I never missed a day of school between first grade and 12th grade. Damn! And everybody laughed, including me, because I was a jack off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, never, I missed. never missed. I never missed. And uh, it's, it goes, it, it, it says something about you. When you're the person that shows up and they're reliable all the time, everywhere in the world. It's a big deal. That is, big you need deal. people to show up. Yeah. You know, if you're paying someone a crazy amount of money to be there, hey, shit, I'm gonna be there. When I get off an airplane after a 12 hour flight to Australia or 15 hours or whatever it is, 24 hours sometimes it takes, and you have the press in front of you when you land, your client is famous, and they don't feel like talking to anybody, and you have to manage that. It's a weird thing, you know. It's a uh, you have to be able to just nut up and go to work. And that's the big, I, I swear that's the biggest thing for security people. Just go to work, like show up and be, and not be pissed off and not tell people your problems and just put a smile yeah. on
0: your face and be helpful. Yeah. Right. Well, go ahead. You had that's a question. big deal. You didn't have a question? Well, I have, I have a ton of well, questions, ask them, but dude. I was letting you go. No you're, kind of, no, you're good. No, you're good. No, you so so up until so 2019 up until 2019. Do you have an idea how many celebrities you worked for? Oh God,
2: I can I I can go through and with a pencil and paper and
0: just just name drop just a guess. We don't even need their names. Yeah, no names. Like
2: 15, 20 big acts. You know, uh, celebrity. You know, if I told you their name, you would know. You know, it's not a whole lot because when I when I travel with people, I tour with them for two years at a time. So, right. you know, I work for Motley Crue. It's 16, 24
0: months. It's well, style. 20 is way more than I expected you to say. Because I, I yeah. mean, I've, ever since I've known her, you, you've been with the same person, the same group. And I'm like, 20, that's a lot. Like, There's
2: a lot of people I don't talk about because yeah, sure. uh, I just don't like them. <laughs> and uh, it's better hey, to not talk about them. i a lot of them.
0: people too that I don't talk about for that same reason. Yeah, yeah. That's why you never answer my calls. That is yeah. exactly why I never
2: respond to Steve's calls. It's a thing. You know, if you hate the person's guts and you're like the closest person to them, then just shut up. That's what you get paid for is to be the professional keep, uh, secret keeper. You know, I've, I've kept a lot of secrets for very famous people for a long time. And that's what you get paid for is just not opening your big fat mouth. Yeah because it's newsworthy, you know, TMZ's on the news now.
0: It's oh like man, a, I can't I can't even imagine having to keep secrets from, or not even I'm not even just secrets but like keep your mouth shut on like things that you've just like witnessed in person for celebrities because you sometimes like even me like you don't think about oh shit yeah. that could be a big deal for that person. Yeah. It's not a big deal for me and Steve, but if Ryan said something about what XYZ celebrity did at the bar last night. It yeah. could be global news. Well, it could change the whole. World. Yeah, hundred yeah.
2: percent. So, I was working for a female celebrity, not for a long time, uh, but every if I said her name, everybody would know who she was. I mean, she did a lot of big shows and a lot of performances that were memorable, a lot of big hits. And every time I was with her, she would just bang some other male pop star, and I just <laughs> left in the car or left outside. Texting her manager, do do you want me to stay while she bangs this person, or should I just hang out like until she's done, <laughs> pulling all nighter or whatever, and just I'll be out here in the car like, hey, you just got done fucking your brains out all night. Here I am, take you home. It's <laughs> awkward as a human, so uh, you know that one didn't really work out, but uh, <laughs> <hit> that. <laughs> I'll do what I can. Say.
0: So I guess so up where. 2019 is where I was at. So, doing management for these for these stars, doing, you do uh, rock stars now, so you're doing concerts. And COVID hits, wipes that out, and you took kind of a turn. And That's kind of what everybody who knows you on Instagram really knows you for, yeah. is what you've been doing for about the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, let's, let's transition a little bit away from the celebrities and let's let's talk more about the training that you've been doing and the, the knowledge that you accumulated over these years of yeah. doing all this management. And now you're, you've got, you're still doing the management. You're like psych- mm-hmm. I was just, when he walked in, I'm like, oh, I didn't know you were working last week when I was texting you and you're like, gotta go, gotta move these yeah. guys off stage. And I'm talking to you about some dumb holster shit,
2: <laughs> which happens. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like,
0: I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. Go- yeah. Shit, dude. I didn't Why even are you talking res- it to me? Yeah, I didn't even respond. Just in my head, I'm like, "The hell is he doing texting?" Yeah, me?
2: that's a weird part of uh, life for a person that, that travels with a celebrity or celebrities, is uh, so that you have to manage your life at home, all the people, in your family, when people that are celebrities are in your face and they're doing stuff with paparazzi or you know fans, or it could be a hundred thousand people in front of you, and, and you have to manage that. You know, your attention to going, going, in so many places. You know, so. I mean, I've been in stadiums full of people texting my girl, you know, like, I, I can't talk. And people that are around me long enough just know, like, leave him alone. He'll get back to you. I always circle back, but there's just things that require my attention. But uh, the training stuff, yeah, I've been training, uh, going around teaching folks things that are inside my skull, things that have been bouncing around my head for a number of years. And I've had a lot of good instructors or people that have taught me things over the years and uh, it's funny when you learn things; it's just knowledge transfer. They're just telling you things that they heard from someone else or pressure tested or whatever. I just took all these things that have been told, that I've, I've listened to with my ears and I have processed in my brain, just kind of regurgitating it to folks that, uh, in, in my life, in my, from my world perspective, you know. So uh, every time you take an in information, you always make it yours, you know. So it's just like, how can I make this mine? How can I make this uh, mean something to other people? You know, so uh, I've been teaching people a mixed skills course around the country uh, based on the things that I've learned over the last 20 years and in my professional life uh, with in the light that I see. it. So in my
1: lens, so to speak.
0: So if you were to describe the training that you do, like what's a like 15 second, 30 second.
1: Oh God, what, you, what, what would I what's your expect? elevator pitch? Yeah, what if would, you, would I expect
0: to come to a class?
1: <laughs> if you've, you've ever the uh,
0: sat there and listened
2: to me for two days in my two-day class, it's like a it's a brain scramble. People leave and mm-hmm. they're like, I don't even know. It's going to take me a while to, to come down from this whole thing yeah. because I just throw shit against the wall or your brain and see what sticks. You know, whatever When I say things, certain things will make sense to you. So I try to cover all aspects of the, uh, the whole, uh, both ends of the spectrum, so to speak. Um, but I talk about myself and what I've done, because I think that any, if anyone tells you something as an instructor, they should tell you who they are and what they've done. Because if they don't, then they're full of shit. If you can't verify what they've done, then they're full of garbage, because you should have some sort of background, uh, some sort of backing before you talk to people about stuff. Sure. Um, so I talk about myself quite a bit, and it's usually interesting, I think. I tell stories about you know the, the people I've worked with, and I try to break it down to the, the dynamic and the aspect. I think
0: one person that will probably never run out of stories is Ron.
2: Yeah. I don't run out of stories. <laughs> it's all New York Times bestseller stuff. It's good. Yeah, you're going to write is, a book that in is 20 years. One day, one day. One day. So I talk about myself and I, t- I go into this nerdy uh, situational awareness stuff, so uh, learning how to uh, pick apart your brain and why you process things in a certain way. I talk about that for a while. Then I talk about deconstructing environments, going into a new environment and breaking it apart. Uh, Looking at things in a different light basically so you know in some respect looking at things like a bad person That's about to do something so that's a big deal because we don't think like bad people we're all good people we don't break the law and uh, When you go into a space ready to kill somebody you start looking at things in a hyper aware fashion So you start everything gets analyzed carefully (laughs) So to do that and just kind of scale it back and and figure out how to make that work in your in your day-to-day life I think it's a big deal uh, so I do deconstructing environments, and then I talk about targeting soft tissue with edge weapons. So uh, modern knife design, reverse edge design, killing people with a knife, etc. And uh, then I go into counter-custody stuff. So it's an introduction to counter-custody, counter-custody being kidnapped, ransom. It's been something that has been on my plate for forever, really. You know, uh, traveling to South America, Southeast Asia. It's been a thing to mitigate counter cust- uh, mitigating kind of a kidnap-ransom situation. So when I go into other countries and I, and I with, with a billion-dollar uh, package in my in my jet, I have to constantly think about, you know, getting kidnapped or what if we get abducted or, or whatever it is, uh, what's going to happen next. So it's been something that I've been exposed to a lot uh, over the years, and I just want to pass off whatever I've learned over 20 years to people that want to hear me talk. So, and I would think
0: that what you were talking about with, like, knowing what the bad guys are thinking, things like that, and uh, breaking that down, that's something that, in your career, that you have to do in order to protect these people. Know what what the threat is thinking and where, that's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, how it's how a funny that.
2: thing because when you work for celebrities or famous rock bands or someone high profile or you attract all the government agencies. you know. So if I'm in Central America or South America, you best believe that the mayor or the president of whatever country or city I'm in is going to show up because it's a, it's an event, it's a national yeah. event. So if I'm in uh, Paraguay or Uruguay, whatever it is, the president's coming to the show. <laughs> He's just show up with his security detail. And it's going to be a scene. They want to be seen there with yeah. a famous a Hall of Fame rock band. It's, they don't come through often. So you start picking things up. Uh, you you stay in this gray area between government and police and the underworld basically because back in the day the the underworld ran rock and roll the underworld ran music yeah. it's just the way it, and and people refuse to acknowledge that and uh, I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by people from both sides some around, Dignitaries from lots of countries and people that are so nefarious that you're like, what the fuck are we doing around this person? <laughs> <laughs> this this guy's guy yeah. around. <laughs> this guy's doing lines of blow in his room, and he's just like, got girls everywhere. He's seventy. He's from the old school, you know. Like people do things a different way. It's cash business, lots of cash. But then you got your president next door in the next restaurant It's really weird. Is like, there's definitely a, a mashup or a gray area between the two, and that's kind of where I've lived as an adult. So when I tell people stories, they're like, What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah.
0: Brian's like a rock star without being the rock
2: star. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be a rock star, no, yeah. fuck all that. No. It's good to it's be a good to be a fly on the wall sometimes, you know?
0: Like he gets to do all the rock star stuff and see it, but he can't actually sing.
2: <laughs> Neither can most people I work for, so
0: to be fair. <laughs> Autotune baby. <Yeah. laughs> so do you find it and I think I know the answer. I, but do you ever find or feel, like, overwhelmed when you go to some of these crazy-ass countries where it's just, like, nuts? I feel overwhelmed
2: all the time. Uh, it's it's sitting in it. It's sitting in that foxhole of overwhelm. Like, the overwhelmed feeling foxhole. You just sit in it. You just, like, learn to love it at some point. Yeah. And that's what makes people go. That's what makes people good at their job is the people that could be overwhelmed all the time and just fucking cruise right well, through Well, yeah, it. there's
0: no way you can succumb to that feeling because
2: you can't. Too many, you know what? too many moving parts.
0: I what always tell guys,
2: when, when guys are new security people or they get hired and they're, and they're working for someone famous or whatever for the first time, I always tell them, people will remember you for the bad times. They'll remember you when shit got tough, how you reacted to it, when things went south, how you reacted, you know, when you had to whoop someone's ass, how you acted. It's, it's a unfortunate part of the job. you got to sure. whip some people's ass sometimes, you know, and make sure there's no cameras around. Uh, but with the way you act, when things get all on top of you and the pressure is just crushing and everyone just looks to you for leadership. And if you snap and you act like an asshole, everyone's going to remember that the rest of their life. They'll never forget yeah. the way you acted. They won't remember all the good days when nothing happened. There's nothing eventful and you, our job was well done. No one remembers that shit. It's the shit that happens uh, that goes south. So, when shit goes south, you have to recognize that and say, look, I'm in the pocket now and <laughs> act accordingly. This is like slow motion being recorded in everyone's mind right now. You have to keep that in mind. It's that everyone's remembering everything you say and do at that point. Yeah, It's on record. Sketchy. It's weird. It's, it's got to be tough. Like It is tough. Yeah. And I've had failures in the past. Anyone, anyone that's done what I do for as long as I've done it tells you that they've never had a failure. They're Holy shit. Yeah.
0: yeah it's it's embarrassed. It's embarrassing. Well, that's how happy. you learn, right? That's how you. That's how you. You learn plan more to plan or yeah. whatever.
2: You learn more from failures than your successes, for that's sure. Right? I mean, chip burns a hole in your
0: head. So, I think one thing that everybody kind of wants to know too is, how did you get into, what do you what do you guys call the reverse blade knife scene? Um, like You're like a you're like what they call an influencer <laughs> in that industry. It's weird because I never meant to be. <laughs> so you know. The whole internet knife stuff
2: was just me fucking around basically in hotel rooms around the world. I really, uh, you know, I had an aversion to social media from what I do. I had stalkers to deal with and weirdos online. I, I never wanted to come into any kind of contact with these people. It's just counterintuitive to what, what I'm Watch doing to make money. shit
0: wouldn't stalk you after I've seen your Instagram You'd be surprised. Video.
2: People are strange. <laughs> people uh, have this weird an, an, an anonymity or whatever it is, and they feel like they can say whatever.
0: One of my most popular TikTok videos is Ryan stabbing the living shit out of his dummy.
2: That's the thing. Uh, Bob dummy's good. Yeah. If you want to practice movements. Uh, The the reverse edge thing, it actually came from uh, being introduced to a guy named Scott Babb. Uh, Scott's a dude from San Diego that goes by Libre Fighting on uh, Instagram. And Scott's an interesting guy. He's a really sweet guy, but also a total maniac. Uh, love the guy. Uh, he's got an interesting way of looking at knife violence, not knife fighting. There's no such thing as a knife fight. Uh, at knife violence is just uh, breaking apart everything all known data. So there's a certain amount of data that's available to us. Just take all of that in all at once and break it down. So uh, mainly surveillance footage or security footage yeah. in prisons or on the street, and you see guys people in South Africa with the low-line attacks or people in prison with the high-line attack to the face and neck, and to see what's effective in those environments, you know. And Scott did his own uh, pressure testing down in Mexico with live subjects and live, you know, law enforcement people, and they went to work without saying too much. uh, The stuff that he had, uh, you know, theorized over the years was true. You know, it was pressure tested and it became true. So, uh, it's not... You know, go in your garage and do, you know, drunk karate for the internet. It's actual stuff that's been used on human beings in the last 10 years, you know. So uh, Scott Babb's been a big influence on me, and I just subscribe to that way of thinking and that way of uh, fighting,
0: really. Yeah, Libre. I find that an interesting, I don't want to say theory, but I guess doctrine would be almost a better way to put it. Because I do some martial blade stuff, you know, because I find edge weapons... I find them scary um, as they're shit. they're scary as hell but they're also really effective when you use them right yeah, yeah. it's pretty gross to think about I when you start doing organic medium testing and yeah starting I, a soft tissue when I sat in on Ryan's class over at Ford movement that day I've watched him mess around he's talking he's showing me stuff like but when I saw, I was like holy shit you're you're fucked yeah. if he gets at you with a blade yeah Things, yeah. Not to mention I love the part the part that really stuck with me on like the mentality part is when you talked about a lot of the methods that you were teaching came from criminals, came mm-hmm. from yeah. people who are locked up in prisons and the way that they use anything that they can as weapons. And then you talked about those not those blades and how you're you're not just stabbing and wildly cutting, you're actually like when you take the class, if you have that red tape, when you're talking yeah. about the arteries, and yeah. you're you're slashing the arteries, but you're also stabbing in the like in the face. I would have never yeah. thought to stab somebody in yeah. the face.
2: It's weird because uh, we can go to firearms instruction, firearms courses, basic pistol, carbine, whatever it is, uh, vehicle carbine stuff. What you can break it down to every situation possible. And it's all cool, USA, American flag, great. We're we're killing people, but when you start American talking Flight about Crocs. yeah, but when you start talking about stabbing people in the face, everybody goes whoa, whoa, whoa. That,
1: that's,
0: that's exactly that's it, the too. money maker. I, yeah. And I watch the I watch the people in the class. So I I've, I've seen Ryan stuff. I've talked to Ryan. Like I've I've seen his videos. We go we we go out and have beers together. and He comes to the shop, and so we talk. About it. But you watch the people in the class. You watch people sitting in the chairs, and, and he says. Like, the first, it's two strikes to the face and a palm to the... And then are like, what?
2: Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> like, weird. It's that, it goes back to the, excuse me, are you a doctor? <laughs> Do you yeah. know that man's dead? Uh, <laughs> when we shoot things, you go bang, bang, reholster. It's like, no, that's a human being you're trying to kill for a good reason. If yeah. you're trying to kill, you shoot him to the ground. You're not a doctor. You don't decide whether he's dead or not. Keep that pistol out until the threat's
1: gone, right? You well, know, I tell
0: people that all the time. When you're talking about holsters and reholstering, so... It it triggers a conversation I have daily here. When people are talking about reholstering, why are you reholstering your gun? Speed reholstering Mm -hmm. is not a thing. That's how you lose. We are not going back to the holster fast. We're coming out of the holster fast. We're keeping the gun out until the threat is 100% gone. And then we might put our gun away so we don't get shot by the police when they show up. Yeah, yeah. But we're not speed reholstering. That's not reholstering is not the important Uh, side of a gunfight. and it's amazing how many uh, I know this isn't we're not talking about gun classes, but it's amazing how many people I've interacted with in classes that are like they they think they need to get in the holster quickly. I'm like, why? Yeah. It's a good way to shoot yourself after the threat still moving, like
2: Nobody wins a gunfight by putting away
0: their gun first. Exactly. You
2: don't get points for that. Oh Yeah. yeah, you
0: pump you pump three rounds on that guy, but you know, is he still moving? Is he still a threat? Is he still moving towards you? Yeah. Like,
2: Are there other threats in the environment? Exactly.
0: I, I don't know what's going and on. And that's the
1: other thing people don't to think about.
0: I yeah. think one of the biggest failures in training has been when people have been trained to one, one two, one, like two to the Failure chest, to stop. one to that, and then they stop. And then they re-olster. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you missed that second shot and that guy is still actively engaging you but because you've done it so many times that scar you've yeah. gone two to the chest one to the head or two to the chest and you you've shot that box and you you've checked the boxes that guy's still coming at you because yeah. who the hell knows why yeah and but so, now you've put away your gun
2: yeah people don't really talk about uh knife violence in that regard either because everything that's in our mind we talk about killing somebody or defending ourselves from somebody or family or Doing the righteous thing. We think about gun violence, you know. So I shoot somebody; it creates this giant wound channel with a five, five, six, or a nine millimeter, or a forty-five, or whatever. And there's it, a lot of energy going into that human being, you know. You can see with ballistic gel or whatever it is. Right. Um, with a knife, that energy is not going into them. So that's a big part of a gunshot wound is the energy that goes oh, in the body. It's everything. Yeah. I mean, a, a two-two-three is like a twenty-two. I was say, without <laughs> that energy, that two-two-three would just. It would be a needle. Exactly. You. People just keep yeah. fighting through it. So with, with knife violence, not knife fighting, you talk about stabbing people and targeting uh, arteries and whatnot. And you're fighting all the way through. You're fighting them to death, basically. So uh, for them to circle the drain and to bleed out and to lose consciousness and blood pressure and everything else, you should not stop until that person is down on the ground bleeding out to bleeding to death, really. So... Teaching people that aspect and that, that way of thinking is uh, shocking to a shocking tool of normal brains, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, Matt, Steve, we've talked about, like, the mindset of concealed carry and, and gunfighting and things like that. And that's one thing, like, especially we're in the shop today over at, at my shop, and people who come into the retail store and are new to carrying a gun, and I talk about the mindset of concealed carry and, and potentially having to take a life. Some people don't realize, like, when you put on your gun, why did you do that? Yeah, You did that because if somebody threatens you with bodily harm and death, you're going to potentially take their life. And that's why we carry guns, is to defend our lives with deadly force. Well, when you talk, Ryan talks about knife violence and things like that. You, you, you don't master. just cut them to, to get them to back away. Like, you... You hold a deadly weapon for a reason. Those people are are in, coming forward, and I just don't. I don't think a lot of people take that yeah. into at the grasp that it really is. Well, and sometimes people don't even know they're stabbed, right? You know, yeah. That guy punched yeah. me. What the heck? Yeah. And, and then they're wondering why they feel that warm,
2: drippy feeling. Yeah, That's my shirt, my shirt's wet. It's weird. Uh, you talk to people about.
0: Uh, uh, I I do that all the time. <laughs> <have been> <laughs> <laughs> nice well, it was really it was juicy I'm and important. Yeah. Yeah. It was you, really good. You, you bring up an interesting point, because I've had people leave classes after the fact being like, well, I'm not going to carry now because I don't feel like I can maintain that responsibility yeah. of right. maybe taking a life. And when you get intimate with anything edge, like that is a totally different level of responsibility and making that mental commitment to yourself. Like, yeah, I'm. This is another tool in a toolbox I'm willing to use. It. That goes right back to the things that I've said in previous episodes of when I get up in the morning and I get ready and before I put on my pistol, are you prepared to carry your gun today? Are you prepared mm-hmm. to do violence to someone if needed? Yeah. And that's literally, it sounds stupid, but it's something that like when I take my gun off the nightstand and I'm putting it on, I'm thinking about it. And I'm asking myself to prepare myself mentally If I go to the Starbucks and some dude is holding a gun to the barista's head, dude, I have a fucking gun. Yeah. Am I going to turn around and walk out or am I going to stop that guy from killing that person? Because that's on me. And more people should be making that, having that conversation with themselves when they put that knife in their pocket or put that gun on. Like, hey, I might have to use this today. Well, we all wish that we don't have to use yeah. it, but we obviously carry it for a reason. And it's not to feel tough. It's yeah. not to I don't want to get in I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to have to use that. It's yet. a last no, exactly. resort thing, and I think that it's it's something that is very important that goes over a lot of people's heads when they yeah. start carrying weapons. I mean when you're when you have a reverse edge blade in your pocket, you're you you did not put that into your pocket so that you could open Amazon packages. You, yeah. you did that because you weren't care- I mean, obviously. It's going to happen first. Obviously, we do that. <laughs> like, we do that with those blades. But the reason we're carrying it is either we don't have a gun, we can't carry a gun like you when you yeah. go to other countries, or if we need to, we're going to use that as a violent weapon mm-hmm. to defend ourselves, our kids, our lives. Yeah. And, and that's why we have it. So we have to keep that in the back of our head that that's not just a pocket knife mm-hmm. for opening yeah. boxes. Yeah. That's a, that's a
2: life-saving a tool. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about a paradigm when I, when I talk to students or people, other human beings about doing stuff to other people and, and, and what we're willing to do is uh, awareness is the first one. So awareness, uh, what your situation aware of. Do uh, you have the file folders in your head to recognize things? If you see a situation uh, that you've never seen before, you go condition black, suspension of disbelief. You can't believe it's happening because you've never seen it before. So internet videos and just things that are going into our brain that help us with that, you know, training is the biggest aspect of that. Uh, prep- uh, being prepared. So your preparedness. Uh, are you ready to deal with something if it comes to you? Is it having something on your body? Is there one in the chamber? Is there something off body in a bag? if you have your medical with you? Uh, do you have a tourniquet on you? If you've got a gun, why not? I don't want to carry it. It's too much shit in my pants. I don't know. That's your prepared level, right? And then willingness, that's the big one, the willingness. And I've met a lot of really cool people in my life, a lot of guys that do that kill people uh, for a living. Uh, and a lot of people that have killed a lot of people. I mean, I know some of the guys that have killed people, more people than anyone in the world. And uh, they've got an interesting way of looking at things. We get all fantasize about what we're willing to do and shit. But until you get put in that situation, you really don't know. Right. So talking to people that have been put in that position over and over is really interesting to and I, I try to absorb as much as possible. Uh, I met a guy who was a SEAL Team 6 Gold Squadron team leader guy, a, very, a well-known trainer. And uh, he told me that if he was in his vehicle in Idaho, this state in particular, and some asshole came up with a gun, put the gun in the window and said, give me your car. Uh, or I'll blow your kids in the backseat, their brains out. He's with his kids, and his family, or whatever it is. And he would just give him his car. And I was waiting for the punchline. Boom, <laughs> boom! You burned them down. You smoked them, right? He's like, no, I'm just giving my car. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to risk my kids' lives or my vehicle.
0: Right. I I know, d- d- that, is, that is something that I have told multiple people here. Like, why, why? Why? Why do you care if someone steals your purse? Yeah. Cancel your credit cards. Which is hard for me to kind of like here because
2: I'm a knucklehead. Right. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll burn his ass down <laughs> yeah, right now. But, That's what but, I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, so we <laughs> we, but we fantasize about like what would happen yeah. if somebody went to steal my shit. And then you get somebody who's more than qualified to burn the fucking world down. Yeah. And they're like, I just give them my nah, car. Yeah, no, because it's not worth taking their life over my car and putting my kids through seeing that exactly. and, and doing all of that. It's give them the
2: purse. I've always heard the the shark tank theory. I talk about that in my my courses and my classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If something were to fall into a a tank of hungry sharks right below you, like you've got a a 12-foot round circle in front of you with with sharks swimming around, if you were to drop anything in the world in there, would you go in there and get it to face those hungry sharks to go get that, that item? So if it was your Rolex watch or if it was your phone or your whatever, your computer, would you jump in there? Probably not. Most likely. But if your but son your, or your firstborn yeah. falls in on accident, yeah, would
0: jumping. you even
2: think about it? Or would you stand there and watch your child get eaten by sharks because you're, see, and you <laughs> right. wouldn't do anything about it. It's, just, it's something that happens inside of our, we have to be willing to do it. That's your willingness aspect. So. That's
0: one of the best analogies I've ever heard for that. Situation. Shark tank. Yeah. 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 No, that's, some, that's something that I've talked about with my wife, like in a, in a real life situation, like if, we're in a grocery store with kiddo and shit goes down. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm drawing my pistol, but I'm making sure you guys get out the back door first. Yeah. Before anything else. Yeah. I like I'm not, I'm not going to draw my pistol and I'm not going to go running towards gunfire or anything else. No. I'm going to draw my pistol. I'm going to make sure nobody's shooting at us and we are sneaking out the back door Yeah. and okay. we were, and we we're getting the hell out of there because my number one priority and you know, well, in my life, my wife and my kid yeah. that's my number one priority I see where anywhere I, uh-huh. I see where I right now <laughs> sorry <laughs> love you Sorry. but that's my number one priority like anywhere like anywhere we go out like my wife like you know she'll try like when we go to breakfast and you know if she sits down in the seat that's facing the front door I tell her no switch the seats I want to see I want to see what's coming through the front door So like, I, like I've listened to a lot of your stuff and like, just from the conversations that we've had about situational awareness and just being aware of what's around you, like that has changed, that has changed a lot of, a lot of the ways that I've, that I've just gone through my daily life. I want to jump in right there because Brian had told me something. I think we were, we were sitting down at Roosevelt one night and we were talking about that situational awareness, like sitting in the, in the (laughs) restaurant or whatever. And he made a a statement, he said, Well, where's the kitchen? Where's the entrance to the kitchen? Yeah. Because there's always a back door in the kitchen. And I thought, fuck, I've been in the restaurant industry half my life. I never even thought about evacuating through the kitchen. And then he goes, Yeah, you leave through the kitchen. Everybody's watching the front two doors, the the main exit. But the people who leave through the kitchen. It slipped yeah. through the cracks, and you're you're out of the situation. You're gone. You don't yeah. have engagement. And guess what? It's course. not
2: locked, and there's a push bar on it because of yeah. U.S. code, and I understand U.S. code.
0: Yeah. And far. as soon as he said that, I was like, "Shit! I've I've been missing an entire exit my whole life."
2: Yeah. That's the third exit yeah. you don't think about. It goes back to the the, the OODA loop, you know, uh, when you observe, and orient, decide, and act. It's like, so someone walks into the restaurant. That's shady. I observe them. And then I might orient myself towards them so I can observe them better. I might orient my pistol on my waist. It might be on my 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock. I just want to touch it and make sure it's there. I make sure that the handle's poking out of my underwear, whatever it is. And you carry a gun, you understand. Yep. Uh, orient, decide, and act. You decide what you're going to do, and then you act on it. And acting might be running away. And that's where, uh, you know, alpha-type dudes get stuck in the OODA loop. is like, decide, act. Decide. I think about it. Act. Shoot that motherfucker. We only think that way. We think linear. We think about we're going to be the the hero. We all want to be the hero in our own story, but decide and act might be run away, run by myself. Yeah, yeah, bust through that window and leave because maybe you don't know the you don't have the unknowns in your head. It could be five guys outside. Well, Ryan,
0: or Drew, sorry, you said if you're on your own, but even if you're with your family, like when you get your family out the door, like you're not going to necessarily come back into the situation not necessarily because if you've already gotten out out into the parking lot out to the truck and you have the potential to to leave because i think this is something that brian had said to me was like i don't want to have interaction with the law enforcement i don't want to answer the question if i'm out of the situation i just want to go yep i want to be as far away from it as possible so if you've done your duty which is to protect yourself and your family first or your client, whoever it is that is is your obligation. Obviously, we want to help other people. We want to help disarm the city. But we have a priority, which is our family or the people who are paying us to protect them. Yeah. So if we've gotten them out, we're not doing them a service yeah. by not leaving them and going back to help other people. Right. Because especially if law enforcement is already on scene, we're definitely not going
2: back yeah. there goes back to that old rap line. Every family is not filled with gangsters. That's real. Right. Like uh, everyone that's with you at the table is not going to get up and shoot somebody. Likely, you're the only person at the table that's going to do it. Yeah. So what about the other people? How are they going to react? Uh, suspension of disbelief, condition black, I go blank, I don't know what to do, uh, mouth open, uh, freeze in place, probably. Or what
0: if on the, <laughs> what if on the flip side – Ryan's on that side of the restaurant. Steve's over there. Today's the first time they met. They're both thinking kind of the same way. If you're running back in with a gun, you could be the bad guy. Ryan might think Steve's the bad guy. I mean, yeah. he's got That's that hard. bald head. He he looks like yeah. he could be a bad guy. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're on your own, if you're on your own, like if you're out by yourself and you're still carrying, it might be a di- it might be a different situation to where if you know something walks into the restaurant. And Know, a sense of threat. Might be a different different situation. But you know, when you got your family with you in the whole nine yards, there's a lot of different there's yeah. a lot of different things that come into play on that aspect. And so like the thing that I've made up in my mind is if something like that happens, my number one goal get my family out. Get my family out, get them to safety. I am not going back in. I'm not engaging anything. Yeah. I'm making sure that I'm getting them out of there and that they are safe and they are safe from Well you know, well, yeah. you know Every, every time we, when we start to overanalyze it, we're starting to add these cogs right into this clockwork. Right. And then suddenly we're so complicated that we hit black. Right. And, oh man, I don't even know what I'm going to do next. Just act. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Think of a plan. Uh, conditioning your tribe or your family is like one of those things I struggle with because like I said, every family is not filled with the same kind of person, you know? Yeah. So right. it doesn't matter if you're I some kind of, yeah, you're some kind of wolf that's like, that a pounce on everybody and you you train, you got cardio, you got strength, uh, you got firearms, you got a knife, and you got all these tools in your belt. You know how to use them. Fantastic, that's great, but you don't know the unknowns. <laughs> there could be fifteen guys that walk into a place. There's people right. that get robbed in stores fifteen deep right now. Yeah, they're just grabbing bags and leaving out Louis Vuitton. Yeah. What do you do then? You know, shoot everybody? You're going to shoot them so. for
0: stealing a purse?
2: Yeah, you carry your your magazine with no. Uh, additional magazines and yeah, it's like right. you just got six
0: rounds in my <laughs> yeah, I got this. Yeah, are you
2: gonna do that? Is it is the shark if a, Yeah, if
0: I'm in a Nike store and they're robbing the whole store, hey, yeah.
1: you,
2: see you all later. Yeah. Have, a, have a good time. Did that insured Nike stuff fall into yeah. your shark tank? Do you give a shit? Yeah, yeah have like, fun. Do you, or do you give a shit about the kids that are with you and your wife that's with you and getting them into a safer position or improving exactly. your position? You know, um, it's a thing to work through in your head and, and to teach the people that are around you certain things incrementally. You know, I teach my kids all, all the time, like when it's dusk or dawn, hey, what are you thinking right now? I'm thinking it's dusk. And what happens at dusk and dawn? It's between light and day. So the cones and rods in your brain, your foveal vision everything else, they think differently because you're confused. As a human being, you're confused. You don't know if it's day or light, so your vision is, is fucked up. You're not perceiving the 30 40% of the shit you normally would. So you should know that. You should know that about your brain. When it's dusk and dawn, like you, you just, it's half light, half dark. You're not seeing everything because your brain is confused. You should know that about your anatomy and your, your human body.
0: There's a nugget right there. Yeah. For those of you listening. Yeah. So when I get up and I
2: drive my kids to, to school, a high schooler he goes to school really early. What is it? It's dawn. You know, like, <laughs> I know, I know. But guess what? She knows that. Yeah. She knows that she's not seeing things. She's not paying attention to really a lot of stuff around her. The, the numbers on houses, the cars that are parked in the driveways, you just don't look at it. You look at the things that are important uh, in front of you, right? Because you have attention currents and you spend up, right? So you, you only see so many things throughout the day. You don't see everything. When you drive on the freeway and you're going 80 miles an hour, you don't see everything off to the side. You see certain things. There's a baseline. You, you see anomalies. You see things that, that break your baseline yeah. or under your baseline, you know? So um, it's important to, to teach people how their brain works and to understand it, you know? so. Gives them a, a heads up
0: when, when things happen, when an anomaly pops up, you have to deal with it. Right. You talk about teaching your tribe, right? So I have a 19 year old son, and he's been on the show, and I've even talked about this on the show before. So every time we'd go into a restaurant, I'd be like, hey, where's the exit? <laughs> right. And so he got to where it was almost monotonous. Like he kind of got sick of it. <laughs> but, you know, and we'd constantly play games how many guys with hats are in the yeah. restaurant right now. We tell people OCE, so
2: uh, over covert exit when you walk into a new structure or a new building or a restaurant or whatever, what is in my face? There's overt shit happening. There could be speakers blasting. There could be uh, dancers. There could be Chuck E. Cheese, the band, the live Chuck E. Cheese band and Chuck, you know, or whatever. That's it. you walked over
0: them too? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: The stinky little no piss balls.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: There could be things in your face and guess what? Everybody's looking at that. And there's, there's covert stuff. There's, there's people that are suspect in the room. That break your baseline. That guy's a gangbanger. That guy's a mysterious-looking dude. That guy's fingernails are dirty. He's got bags under his eyes. Looks like he might be on meth. Whatever file folders in your head, you make conclusions about everything. We always try to complete a story about people and situations. We we like to be the uh, unsolved mysteries person and just solve all the mysteries in the room. We do that naturally. If someone's walking around your neighborhood door to door knocking on doors, to say, Wow, he's probably delivering water. Why is
0: that person doing it? Yeah,
2: he's but you don't you don't ever yeah, go like a strange
0: car drives down the street that you've never seen before, you're standing at the, you're standing at your front yeah. window like, why is this person driving? But down the pay street?
2: attention next time that yeah. happens, you will complete the story in your head. Well it's probably a Mormon. He's yeah. probably uh whatever it's probably
1: Steve. Yeah. Solar salesman.
2: Yeah you just don't you just don't know but we don't like this unknowns because they'll just leave us on this cliffhanger like, oh I need to find out. So we complete the story so we can move on with our life. It's not a threat. We just round the curve, you know?
0: So something from when I sat in on that class that has still stuck with me and that I like to, I mean, there was a bunch of it, but you talked about you had that watch, and it was the Wi-Fi jammer. Mm -hmm. And you said, now you know what it is. If you see someone wearing (laughs) one of those, they're probably up to no good. And so now now it got me to thinking, I'm like, So if you pay attention to what things are bad and what bad guys use, when you see those, and this is what you were getting at, when you see those things, you will start thinking, is that guy up to no good? Because why the hell else would he be wearing a Wi-Fi jamming
2: watch? There's no crime school. There's no university for bad guys. They learn like everybody else learns, uh, except for prison, where you put every bad person in one (laughs) enclosed environment. It's like the Harvard of bad guys. (laughs) But you, uh, people learn the way we learn. It's just uh, you have to learn things. put file folders in your brain so that when you see them, you can understand them, and make your conclusions or your judgments based on those clues, those pieces of the puzzle. You can put it together faster. So I try to show people that are nefarious uh, things that are nefarious things that are things that people aren't uh, exposed to normally. You know, it's like you don't really know how to make chemical bombs because you're not going to put chloroform into a room. But here's how people do it. It's like this I know when people
0: walking around with a big mason jar yeah. little mason jar I'm like that motherfucker a chemical is bomb. a fucking chemical right. bomb.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it's a thing, you know, or I should I should I put a bunch of things out there and I say, look at all the shit that you can get past security screening, look at all the stuff that people have no idea they haven't even seen it, they don't know what they're looking at. But if you know what you're looking at, it changes everything. Yeah. Looking at things in a different light, that's all it is. Right. Crazy.
0: Well, Crazy. What do you got? See do you got any more questions. I know I could I could go on for hours. Well, through. it depends on how long we want to go. I don't know. Do you have more questions? Well, I got. i I really want to ask the five questions, do I? Uh, I don't know about that, but I really, I really you don't want, like those five questions. I, I do, but I'll wait for a second. So I really want to get your your perspective. So you're you uh have trained with Spartan blades. i I've watched. Yeah. Ryan's training. I've done. A, I mean, I I engaged in it. But Spartan I mode. Spartan mode. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You confuse me because you no, were all these. Blaze knives is, uh, Adam Boyce is knives. Yeah. Yeah. I had these knives, and he was talking about
2: Spartan mode. Adam Boyce. Spartan
0: mode. Adam Boyce. Adam's yeah. a good friend of mine. Yeah yeah. So. yeah, yeah. I and know, so Adam. they have a they have a different style. Yeah. Um, you you train with Adam in we, Eastern we, Idaho, and I hang out with Ryan a lot. Mm-hmm. So like, so you want to want a knife violence? I want to see those two knife violence against each other. Well, no, I, want, I don't want to fight Adam. I don't want, I want to anybody I want I don't fight put anybody. That on Master I want to have both on Master masters Instagram. Yeah. So and I want to see
2: who wins. So with but, Adam, Adam's a, f- a friend of mine, and I look up to him, and I, I find value in everything yeah. Adam says to people, and I think that, and I've trained with him. Yeah, it's a different philosophy, though. It's different. Yeah, which is fine. I I think that you should learn from as Absolutely. many people as possible, and you should put that in your tool belt if the, the need arises or whatever it is you can go to that tool and get and get to work um, what you decide to make your mantra or make the, the thing that you do uh, truth to yourself it's up to you it's up to every individual I'm not I don't care what people want to do in their individual life do what's best for you do what's going to make you more successful in, in yeah. the real world that's fine um, but the the system that that comes from is uh, there's a weird uh, legality uh Angle or light to that uh, system, that Yeah, Michael Janich. Uh, system is a uh, if you if I get this if I get fucked this up I'm sorry but if you were to <laughs> if you were to cut somebody with the edge weapon uh, and fuck them up somehow that they could you could eventually go to court of law and talk your way out of any kind of litigation based on the fact that you learned a martial art that was less than lethal or was to disable them and not to kill them. Yeah, that's probably closer to it. It's more like just to minimize the threat. Minimize the threat, yeah. So that's great. I mean, fantastic. I'm happy to know all the information. I'm happy to put that in my brain and understand it and to process it. But me personally, if if I have to pull a a weapon, a firearm, a knife out of my concealment and to deploy it, I'm going to kill you. And everything else is going to happen after the fact. Well, you know, dead people don't sue so much. Well, Their so, family does. Yeah, what? I'm not going to shoot anybody in the foot. I'm not going to shoot anybody in the yeah. dick to be funny. I get pelvic girls off of place to get shot. But uh, I'm going to shoot or stab you in a way to end your life
0: yeah.
2: and end it quickly, as quickly as possible, and put you down the ground. What do you mean? I'm going to shoot you to the ground. Yeah. Well, I'm shoot and you and to I the think what he's, gone.
0: Trying, what he's getting at too is that we don't draw our weapons from concealment for anything less than defending against deadly force and we engage with the same amount Equal of force. force yeah yeah in
2: I'm an immortal danger i'm putting you down like i i just have to be extremely biased in that situation i don't want to have any kind of wavering thoughts or or i want to think about anything that's going to make me soft in that instance i want to put you down because i've already uh, observed you i've already oriented myself towards you i've decided what to do and now i'm going to act it's my oodle loop, right? So I'm going to act on you with extreme prejudice. It's just it's you or me, and you're going right. down. Yeah. I have to act that way to complete what I, when I want to get done. So that's the way I process thing in my mind. Which, in
0: his defense, is defending his life for sure. my
2: kids or whatever. I'm not yeah. worried about a lawyer or a judge. I'd happily sit in jail the rest of my life. If my kids not dead. Yeah, exactly. I will say I'll I agree with that. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'll agree with that.
2: But that being said, I understand. Like I. I get, I, I got value to training with Adam. I, I understand, like human anatomy. We break it down to lower limbs, past the elbow, past the knee. Um, I like it. I like that stuff. I mean, I, I mean I'll he doesn't never...
0: teach palm strike to the face. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. I'm not going to say we haven't talked about it. I mean, you were talking about hatchets, so yeah, we did some tomahawk stuff, which was yeah. freaking, freaking awesome. Yeah, I think it's it great. I think you put everything in your tool on your I've tool belt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You should, you should never like, have
2: an aversion Bob to different, different lines of thought. You yeah. should If there's different lines of thought, take it all in and make a decision for yourself. I think it's great. Yeah, I think, I, like, for me,
0: I want to learn as, as many systems as I can maintain. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah. there might be a situation where NBC won't work. That's yeah. that Bruce Lee yeah. shit, yeah. you know, so that uh,
2: I don't have any kind of father. There's no father to my style. I just do whatever happens. Yeah, right. I adapt to the situation. So, I mean... There's no doubt in my mind that Adam wouldn't have my back. God, I trust my life with that guy. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Oh, he subscribes to this uh, <laughs> knife karate shit. <laughs> oh no! I would, put, I would literally put my life in Adam's hands. Yeah. You know, like he, hes a capable dude.
1: Yes, he is. And uh, <laughs>
2: he's a physical dude, and he's a professional dude. Yeah. And he's my friend. So yeah, I, I, there's no doubts in my mind. So people need to understand when you—it's not disagreeing with a, a methodology. No. It's just subscribing to a different light. That's all it is,
0: and, and it's fine. Everyone can have well, their own thing. And the other thing that I think is fair to put into the equation is your life experience is a little different, too. Yeah. Because you've you've been to so many different places and dealt with so many different issues. You're like, no, I'm going to do this way because my life experience says this is the way to dispatch the problem. Yeah. I've had, a, I've had to give
2: license to a lot of people in my life. So when I have a protective detail in Colombia or anywhere in Rio de Janeiro or whatever – <laughs> Those are my guys. Like I have to literally put my life in their hands every we yeah. move. Are the armored vehicles uh, redundant? Are they? You know, there's a lot of things that happen with armored vehicles. By the way, <laughs> people don't talk about. Uh, they go down constantly. There's always mechanical or, or technical problems with them. Um, anyway, uh, dealing with local security people, do they know what they're doing? Are they are they caught up in the surprise uh, attack of the fame and? and the, the, the people that are attacking you on the street, there's people that have no ill intent, really. Yeah. There's fans that are everywhere. Are they cloud? Is there, is there judgment clouded by these people? Have they done it before? Have they been there, done that type thing? Uh, there's a lot to consider when you go to other places and you put your life in someone else's hand. And I'm very comfortable doing that in a weird way. I go all over the world and I have local views that are in
0: charge of me, basically. Well, you've also created a network or, yeah. or you've been introduced to that yeah. network. but do trust,
2: yeah, so you learn to like, accept things that you're not exactly like you. you've you practiced at home in your garage truck or whatever. Like Uncle Rico, like <laughs> this isn't the knife karate I do by myself on Wednesdays, so yeah, you know, like hey, throw a pig spin on that mountain, yeah. No it doesn't matter
0: because those people are capable in that environment, it's a you know, endemics, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I when I started doing stuff with Adam, like because I've known Adam for a long time, yeah, right? he, he grew up in the same town. That oh, I lived cool. in. And uh, I've known him for quite a while, and so I didn't realize that he did any kind of edge stuff yeah. until he had one of the seminars. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. Steve showed up with his Kershaw on Yeah, it's fine. Okay, You're let's do it. No, where Kershaw my ass. It was a Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, but that in itself like changed my perspective of buying a twenty dollar <laughs> knife or whatever. I mean, sometimes it still gets the job done, but it's not effective. As effective as it could be, I should say. Yeah. I've learned a lot. There's no doubt that uh the fixed blade is king. When you talk
2: I mean you can talk to people that carry uh folder versus fixed blade. Uh fixed blade is king. It's faster, there's less moving parts, yada yada yada. If you have a folder, it's usually for uh, legality issues here in California, or whatever. New York, yeah, about. yeah. New York's a big nook. Yeah, you, no,
0: there, don't you do you gotta it. Now. Have a butter knife, over yeah. There. Yeah. and don't have the new, better butter knife. You gotta have a traditional. It can't be lake
2: Yeah, which is weird because uh, you know there's kids that carry fixed places on London constantly. They have the biggest stabbing epidemic yeah. on Earth, but they're illegal. But how do they get around it? It's their narrative, you know. It's uh, when they go to what's called Tesco. Tesco's a 7-Eleven of England, you know, they go into Tesco and buy a fruit knife or a paring knife for a couple of quid or a couple of dollars and they carry it in their pocket with the package on. That knife will stab through the package
0: this, just as
1: easy. This
0: just segued perfectly into what I wanted to go into next. So that was something you talked about in the course that I sat in on was the paring knife and going and and picking up the knife when you got in country. Yeah, sourcing. So, it. another yeah, sourcing, exactly. So, I kind of want to touch on that before we into this because that was something that also stuck with me was when you get to where you're going, sourcing the tools and the equipment that you needed from things that you might not expect. We talked about the paring knife, we talked about hangers, we talked about <laughs> medical, medical stuff. Yeah. If you can just Slightly touch on that. I mean, I want yeah. people to come take the classes. Yeah, we don't I mean, want to compromise. Yeah, no, it's fine. But uh, just just a little bit, because that was something that I all. still think about every time I go to a hotel and I look at the hangers.
2: Yeah, I break hangers in half and, you know, rub them on the carpet and sharpen them. And it's like, there you go. That'll go in your face, you know. So if it's a thick plastic hanger, yeah, you could do that anywhere you're at in any kind of hotel or whatever around the world.
0: Maybe you tell the, the uh, medical story that you told that you. So,
2: yeah, medical is weird. Uh, you know, most guys that travel with medical gear, they've got a cursory knowledge of how to use it, and whatnot. You have a, you have a uh, your, your tourniquet. You got your packing material. You got your chest seals. Uh, your basic March S March uh, system set up. You know, uh, massive hemorrhaging, airway, respiratory, circulation, uh, and, uh, head injury, and hypothermia. You have this uh, weird acronym that you lay out to so, uh, diagnose patients and treat them under under fire and uh, care. Carroner Fire type stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, if you can't if you can't take those things in, around the world, uh, you should be able to source it, you know. So like, Eternicus is a funny thing because my buddy Mike, uh, Micah, just by Classic McQueen online. Uh, Micah looks like a fucking dirty pirate. I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a drug mule. If you had to draw a picture of a drug mule, it'd be Micah. Uh, and partially because he's a, one of those sketchy characters that travels the world, so he looks that way. He looks like a pirate. The, the only necklaces, wristbands, the glasses—you know, the Hawaiian shirt and the beard. And shit. He listed the tattoos. Uh, when he was in Southeast Asia, he uh, he got pulled out of uh, customs uh, in, in a certain country, and he had a rat's tourniquet on him. And the rat's tourniquet's that yeah. band that that, that thin Stric, band, Stric yeah, band. Yeah. stretchy band that's good for pets and what little kids. <laughs> uh, whatever your thoughts are on that. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, he had a rat's tourniquet on him and they pulled him aside for having drug paraphernalia because they thought he was a heroin addict with a, with a band <laughs> to, to clamp off his veins and they pop it up, you know? So they kept him in the tank for a long time and it was, he was gone missing because okay. he's in a custody of uh, another government body. Um, but what does it say about you? What, what do those things say about you? I was in Japan last January with the band I'm currently with. We rolled in there to do some shows and some big uh, stadiums. I had a visa that was from the, the big promoter. And my paperwork was solid. It was uh-huh. ironclad. I mean, I am who I say I am, you know. But they still fucked with me at customs. In Japan, it's not one of those countries that fucks me. I've been there for 20 years, You know, every, a couple of times a year for 20 years. It's, I don't ever get stopped there. For whatever reason, the agent that stopped me there didn't like me. He didn't like something. But something didn't compute. He was pulling the thread, we say. He, he saw me. Something didn't affect they uh, didn't fit, so he's gonna pull the thread. You know, when you pull the thread, everything falls apart. He's like, uh, "I'm gonna look into this guy." So he decides to dive into my luggage and ask me more questions, and I'm just obliging and telling him stuff. He pulls out my med kit for my backpack, and I've got these bright orange tourniquets and these bright yellow, green tourniquets and all kinds of weird faggy colors and stuff. Purple bags <laughs> and stuff. Orange backpack. I want to make it look as soft and as unassuming as possible. I don't like to have patches everywhere, like. Five Eleven, Molly. It's not
0: running around being the most tactical no. person in
2: the air. No, I don't you want to look I'm tactical. Cheap. And people that see me walk through the Air Force, they don't think I look tactical. I wear gym shorts and wear shirts with Garbage Belt kids on it. You know, the Mohawk. <laughs> so I'm not very tactical The Garbage tactical belt thing
0: is a, yeah. is a
2: joke we will yeah. tell later. I'm a big deal with tattoos. I don't. I don't look like a, a tactical type dude. I think right. yeah, I could be misconstrued somewhere around the world. But uh, I go in this uh, customs and they pull me aside and they they, want to know what's going on. And I tell them who I am. I show them my paperwork and they want to know why I have so much medical gear on me. They don't believe what I'm saying. I say, I do security for these people and I'm here for this amount of time. Here's my visa. Here's my landing card. Here's whatever my passport. They just didn't make any sense to them. They're Like, why would you need this to work for these people? What is going to happen in your course of work? Where you would require five tourniquets really? and all that. so it went to the next level up. You know, the supervisor comes over, start questioning more, same questions, redundant type stuff to see if I fuck up my line of questioning. You know, I'm telling the truth, so everything checks out, and they're just there at me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Because it's, it's, it doesn't fit their idea of normal. It, it, no one in Japan carries five tourniquets. In America, you might say, "Well, you're know, some fucking weird internet nerd, uh, medic or something." Which, I even told which,
0: them, "Which of kind of is a weird?" Internet yeah,
2: I'm a weird guy. <laughs> uh, I told them, I, I literally told them I was a nurse, and then I told them I'm a doctor, you know, a doctor. And they were like,
0: nah. <laughs>
2: "They didn't give a shit," you know. And they asked me if I had a license for this stuff, and I said, "Do I need one?" No. Okay.
1: Then I don't what happen. are we talking about? I <laughs> try
2: to be smart, you know. Uh, but that broke their baseline of normal. No one rolls through that checkpoint with five tourniquets, and I did. It didn't matter what color they were, didn't care what my narrative was and my work and go to paperwork. It didn't fucking matter. They broke their baseline as an anomaly, and they pulled me aside, and they were going to figure out what was going on. They we were going to pull the thread through all my luggage to put that missing piece together to catch me doing something bad. And when they let me go, they told me, Look, we thought you were going to do something nefarious. Like you were planning on getting shot by the police or or whatever.
0: Which, if you if you think of it from their perspective, it's kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like why is this guy coming into our country with five tourniquets and this other medical? Yeah. Is he planning on getting shot? Well, what what do people that plan on getting shot plan on doing? Yeah. Does he plan on getting in a in a gunfight or in, yeah. engaging in violence? That's the only reason, and and it makes sense when you think of. Yeah. I mean. When you listen to this, you're like, oh, fuck them. They're being stupid. But when you really turn it around and you think, like, if you're doing what we're talking about in this podcast and you're profiling and being situationally aware, that's what they're doing. They're going, only people who plan on getting hurt
2: have five tourniquets. Yeah. So you're going to carry out some kind of nefarious act, and those are, for you, basically self-care. You know, so which wasn't in my mind. I couldn't understand what they were thinking, but they came out and told me. I'm like, well, so aspect is everything, context is everything, and if you can't carry those things into the country, just source it. You know, sometimes people don't let you bring that shit in because they think it's weird or whatever. They you don't have to, they don't have to explain themselves to you. Right. And, and your idea of normal stays at home. Like it's not America. You don't carry your constitution with
0: you. I think that people forget, like when you go to other countries, it's not America. Yeah. Like what we what we do and see and experience here. That's not yeah. what you do and see and experience. That's your, your baseline. You
2: have one baseline. Yeah. But a guy like me, I have to have 53 baselines. Like, I have to know what country I'm going to. The first time I went to Singapore, I ordered all kinds of armored vehicles and security, armed guys and stuff in the hotel, armed guys on every floor that we're occupying, all this shit. I had rooming lists, and needs. I, I went way overboard. I didn't know that Singapore was a financial hub for Southeast Asia. I didn't know that Singapore had zero crime. I didn't know that it was illegal to chew bubble gum there. Because yeah, I was a young kid out of college, and right? I didn't understand what the what the normal was there. So when I came in with these requests, people were like, who the fuck are you? Like, you want armor? We don't have armored cars here. <laughs> the president's the only one that has it. You know, I, right. So they were Ryan offended. Ryan
0: ordered the president's armored yeah. car. And heard. of course they were or offended. Dr. Yeah. Can I rent Asia? it for <laughs> a week? They were like,
2: if we tell people to do shit, they
1: won't do it. I'm like,
2: well, I've never been there, so I really don't really know what I'm talking about. You hear Singapore, all that comes to mind is Bill Clinton bailing out that kid that's breaking out of that car. He got caned on no yeah. TV. Oh, it's wow. like well,
0: that's going back. Yeah, and
2: I'm 42, so I remember that yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's like uh, there was no other discussion about Singapore ever in our normal day to day life. That's
0: because they're a safe country.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's, it's a financial love, like a, it's a weird mutt uh, area where people all look different. They speak English. By the way, English is the primary language in Singapore. If you didn't know yeah, so it's the baseline. It's, it's understanding what you're going into uh, before you go into it. That'll save you a lot of headaches and troubles in the private security
0: world. Okay, if you want to ask your questions, you can, because I know that we're gone, we've are we gone a little. Yeah, we, we went a little heavy on time, and I really appreciate you hanging out. It's all right, I talk endlessly. Yeah. I'm going to take him and go talk more after this. So, <laughs> okay. You're just going to leave me alone? <laughs> hey, you we, we love it. it. All right, so you're staying at my house. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. I'm like, <laughs> so these questions usually when we have a guest on the show, like I like to get a little bit deeper than into who they are, mm-hmm. and that's what these questions that are designed to do is just to uh, get to know you on a different level than okay. the tactical cool side or whatever. Sure, you can self-redact. Anything like yeah, actually, I'm not so cool. So that's fine. I I actually had a, a get, Well, I won't I won't tell you who it is, but we had to go back and redact. A lot of information from the questions. Like sure. I don't feel comfortable with that. Let's cut that out. Uh, so, that if was before I was in charge, yep. I list this. Sh- this shit will be live in 30 minutes. <laughs> it, it was before you. <laughs> so if you like, like, just like you said, if you feel like I'm pretty uh, good, I'm pretty good at governing my words. Okay, I'm good at that's it. Again. That's his. We just talked about this in the beginning. He his entire career is based on knowing what he can. Privacy say. and sure. giving sure. away clues sure. and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at that. Okay. So, so number one. Uh, what experience in your life has been the most influential, and why?
2: Oh gosh, and you uh, can't use
1: Hillary, no.
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I could pinpoint it to one thing, but uh, I, I, with Hillary, I worked for her for eight years, so I was exposed to a lot of things that aren't on your radar. Is as that the person. longest that you've
0: been with one client?
2: Y- yeah. So with Hillary, I was, I worked for her. I was in her house every single day from sunup to sundown. Like it was a or sometimes I overnight, like it was very normal. Or if we're on tour, obviously we're connected in rooms and hotels, so we're very close. I mean I was with her for her first childbirth, her wedding, like I was with her for all that stuff, sixteen to twenty four. So it's a big deal when you're yeah. with a, a young girl from sixteen to twenty four, you're like a, a figurehead in that person's life, you know. So, so.
0: sorry sorry to psych right. I just that was I'm notorious for that. So most most influential experience if you have one. or maybe it's just a uh, generic you know what
2: i won't pinpoint any particular person but dealing dealing with a stalker for the first time a celebrity stalker uh like it's a, a
0: stalker of a celebrity
2: or yeah a, okay. of a person that i'm with Uh, I'm going to kill you with this gun on this date type thing. Like a very specific threat, which which is illegal. It's a terrorist threat, right? Um, I'm from L.A. I'm born and raised in L.A. County. And LAPD's got a specific uh, group of detectives called Threat Management Unit, TMU. They're attached to the Mental Evaluation Unit, the MEU, which is attached to the District Attorney. (the DA). So I was working with this uh, group of detectives to mail down stalkers. They're great at what they do. Uh, LAPD is the only group that I know of in the world that's got a dedicated group of detectives aimed at celebrity stalkers. It's because it's news. There's a lot of pressure on that police department to deal with these weirdos. Really? Yeah, They got tired of it and they just uh, dedicated a group of detectives to these problems.
0: And right? it's also the, the hub of celebrities. It is,
2: yeah. So there's a high concentration density of celebrities in the area. But uh, dealing with uh, all of that, the district attorney and, and private detectives and and, you know, LAP detectives they have uh, weird, fuzzy rules and laws, like they, they have different holds and stuff. They don't they don't have to give you a reason to hold you for a long time. It's weird for a person that's like a freedom-based uh, mind. You're like, what do you mean you can hold them forever? It's, it's a weird thing for law enforcement. Uh, so dealing with that and the things that go through your mind when someone is going to come to your defensive position and kill you, if you know that someone's outside of your house, is going to come to your house, knows where you live, Notice when you're there and has a gun and they have every intention of killing you, everything changes. Yeah. You don't have so much attention currency in your mind from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. You can only think about so many things before you become exhausted or before you start thinking irrationally. So I went through all those phases of uh, really jacked up from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep to trying to figure out what's important, what can I control. Uh, you, you can't worry about the boogeyman match 24-7. You have to worry about certain things. And then guess what? Life is happening too. So I have a TV show. I've got vehicles. I've got work to do. But also there's a person trying to kill me. So it's very easy to shut everything down and just focus on that. It makes sense. It's like a Maslow type thing. You know, like I need shelter and safety and water and food. Yeah, it's, like,
0: it's like my life and my client's life is more important than the TV show. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the person trying to... But also you're trying along. to
2: keep Ellen DeGeneres on track. You're
0: trying to keep the client famous yeah. and bring in money. But and at, at the same time you're like, but what's more important?
1: Yeah.
2: But when you start to break it down the person is focused on you instead of the client, it's like you're the gatekeeper. You're the security person. So obviously I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to do whatever I want with that person. That person shouldn't have to worry about what you worry about. That person should go on with their life, which is a weird thing to talk about when you talk to a young girl about, hey, look, there's problems in our world. And you can't just walk out the front door. You can't just walk out of your front door. You can't just get Starbucks. You can't just go do that. When someone tells you you can't go to Starbucks to get coffee, your world changes
0: because you might die. I can only imagine it's like, what do you mean? I can't do yeah. whatever
2: I want. So you talk about the level levels of weirdness that stack on top of each other with security systems and early detection warning systems and cameras everywhere. You know, when you're in your house and there's, ca- there's 24 30 cameras around your property, and they they blow up on all the big screens in your house every time someone moves because the lasers pick them up. Guess what? Your mind is shit now. Yeah. You're like a hermit waiting to die, and you have to you have to continue to live your life. So. Dealing with celebrity stalkers was a thing to get used to, but also uh, I feel like I did, and I excelled at that. And that's why I got hired by so many different people to, to deal with that. It's fucked up. Like, uh, and I don't care who the fuck you are or what experience, how many people you killed or you've been overseas. That's fantastic. You're not in Beverly Hills sitting in someone's house with some weirdo floating around. It's completely different. Your baselines are all fucked up. The anomalies are everywhere. Nothing fits. Nothing makes sense. So I always say that would probably be the That's biggest. It's kind of
0: that you were the, the prey, not the hunter. Type yeah,
2: thing. yeah, because you don't control everything out yeah. there. You control what you control: your vehicles, your movement. Your and firing. I think,
0: I think, especially for someone like you, but all of us, like, it's 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 a weird concept to say, "Well, I'm going to be the prey, not the predator." Yeah, because we all like to go through life thinking, "I'm the fucking predator. I'm the wolf. Like nobody's going to fuck with me." But then when you're in that situation, it's like, well, I can't just yeah. run out and find the guy. It's a jack-in-the-box. I have, to, I have to make sure that if it shows up, I can defend against it. Yeah. But I have to sit here until that happens. Yeah. And that, that gets your brain going. just like everything you just described. Yeah. Like,
2: and so we say jack-in-the-box. If I put it in front of you and start cranking it, yep. you know that fucker's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes out, you go... Ugh! It's just. Uh, it could be
0: two turns, or it could be twenty. It doesn't matter. You're
2: anticipating it, but you can't ever be prepared for the jack to come out. I bet you never
0: expected that. answer. No, that's why I do these questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. All right, number two. You just won the lottery. It's a crazy amount of money. What are you going to do with it? Oh God, I'm a weirdo, and I, I could. Uh, <laughs> I thought about this obviously. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Initially, on the top of my soft part of my ring. I want to get on a jet and just go to Maui or some shit. Just like be dumb and just. And not be
0: guarding anyone.
2: Yeah, just go away from everybody. Turn my phone off and you can call me on a landline that I answer once a week, Sunday at 5 p.m. Get on the ham radio. Yeah, like fucking, uh, what's his name? Murray, Bill Murray. (laughs)
1: He
2: just goes to Maui and smokes weed and
1: just doesn't give anything.
2: But honestly, I mean, honest to God, and people that know me know that I'm not fucking around. I'm not kidding about it. I would take that shit and just cut it into pieces and then try to affect as many people as possible in my life. It's just you know, like when you imagine your brother wins the lottery, like you would want your brother or your sister, or whatever, to take care of you. Like, yeah. fuck them in the lottery, dude. I need the cut, man. Yeah, Come on. I would just cut that shit up, man. I would just cut it up till it's gone, so I wouldn't have to deal with the burden. Yeah, I don't want that weight, that to weight on me, man. I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. I, I deal with people with hundreds of millions of dollars. Like it's, it's a lot of weight. And there's people that come around, there's family members, and like I've seen families fall apart because of wealth. Like first, first front row seat to that shit, and it's fucking. It's you're like, why does this have to happen? Like I don't understand, and, and uh, your your rip, reptile brain kicks in. And you're like, survive, you know, or, or just get away from these people, fuck them. But it's not it's not reality. You want to keep your bubble tight. You want yeah. to keep the people that you know and people that you, you communicate with. Break that shit off, man. Like I, I, would. You know, I don't know if it's different from the lottery, where someone just gives me something to me, like being a celebrity, and working th- for
0: it. I think that exact. When you were just explaining that, and right before you said that, I was thinking, you know, it it might be a little different if you were just handed, an athlete. If you're just handed a hundred million yeah. dollars versus you worked your entire life from ten years old to become a professional baseball player, and you've done everything, yeah. and put in the work. But if you won the lottery, like you said, like yeah, what is it to? What is it to Sh- my college it out? roommate
2: uh, went to, he got drafted, and he played for a few different teams. Played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, became the starting center, won the Super Bowl, and guess what? Everybody came out of the woodworks. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> dude, you're rich.
2: You know, he's on WWE wrestling. Uh, people as a ch- Super Bowl champion, the big ring, uh, king of Pittsburgh, all the shit. It's like I know that shit fades. You know, I know that. That money can't last your whole life but everyone thinks you're filthy rich because you're on febreze commercials or whatever <laughs> well it's celebrities that. are a
0: bad example of wealth because it's yeah. like 85 percent of all celebrities go broke within yeah the same thing with lottery winners honestly yeah, yeah. well, lottery winners is even higher it's like 90 yeah, percent of the lottery it burns off dude so burn years.
2: that shit off peel that shit off with all people that you're familiar with and just man take care of your bubble because guess what it's going to burn off anyway and you won't have anyone there to fucking insulate you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No one will care about you because you fucking left them in the ditch. God, this when this you're is
0: rich. the first time I think that we've gotten that. And that's, I think that's probably the most real answer yeah. too. Yeah, 100%. I thought about it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought about it. I can, it. Tell, I can tell. <laughs> All right. Number three, what's your biggest fear? Oh, God. a like me is not scared of anything. <laughs> uh, Everyone's scared
2: of him. That's true. It's, uh, it, uh, my biggest fears are just things I can't control. You know, so I've got three kids, you know. They're in three different schools and there's things that you know like i have to uh, my biggest fears have become a reality because of what's happened in the last fucking 16 months or whatever of yeah. covid and the the media and the fucking the battle for your child's mind against the tv and the celebrity yeah. like i'm from the celebrity world but the things i see celebrities saying and doing is fucking retarded man. like shut the fuck up like what are we talking about right now I don't understand how we're just throwing our freedoms away. I mean, I guess in short, my biggest fear is losing freedoms. <laughs> As yeah. an American, I fucking, you know, I'm a, I bleed red, white, blue, man. Like I just, I love this country and I love my freedoms. And I, anything that has to do with taking it away, you just automatically
0: turn into this fucking weird I psychopath. i 100% right now regret not letting Steve do the video today for the first time. Because Ryan blew through the door. Dude, it was awesome. American <laughs> flag, swim trunks. <laughs>
2: and, and crocs. American
0: flag crops. Oh yeah. And he Jimmy like through. came flying through the door we, we were talking He said it something through. we won't say and he was, and I was like <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> hey, look
2: at I've been in, I've worked for a paycheck in 53 countries in 20 years. I've seen all I want to see of the world. Yeah. I've seen all I want to see of America. I live in Boise, Idaho for a reason. It's not by mistake. It wasn't because someone wrote an article
0: it's so because I
2: started yeah uh, I, been here. I
0: mean, from Boise,
2: yeah I've been coming <laughs> here for 20 years I, I made friends here before I came here you know and I, I saw what I'd become I, I I figured everything out in my head the, the, the math is done in my head already before I moved my family here and convinced them to go with me you know. um, but my biggest fears are to lose the minds of the people that are around me really and that's a really hard nut to crack if you've got kids. If you've got kids, you want to be the influence on them. You want to show them the world according to your lens. right? So when they go out into the world, you prepare them for all the pitfalls that dumbasses come across. But now, everything's uh, weird. Everything's all fucked up. You're supposed to think a certain way. Your sensibilities are in tune. and If you don't think this, then you're this. It's It's not the case. It's not a fact. And uh dealing with everything versus me with what in regards to my children is my biggest fucking fear, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh it's a battle, man. It's it's uh it's a real thing. If you've got kids that are developing and becoming <laughs> yeah. adults, they either subscribe to what you're thinking or what you're talking about, or they might show you some kind of like, I don't know if you're telling the truth. Yeah. And that's uh that's
0: a weird place to be. It's hard. It's kinda and scary. It is, is scary, man. yeah. All right, fourth one. What would you say is your biggest achievement? My biggest
2: achievement is keeping a family together after being on the road for 20 years. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, I look around dudes that are in my office and my crew uh, anywhere in the world. I could be in fucking Madrid, Spain, and looking around the people that are around me, and there's very few dudes that have three kids and a wife at home in a big house and, like, a dog, and everything's cool. It's very rare. I mean, it's like one in a hundred. So um, I think that's one of the one of the biggest uh, accomplishments is keeping it together. Really, keeping my shit together uh, for myself too. People have breakdowns and they lose their mind. You know, being out there too long and not being around any kind of anchor. You know, if you're if you're gone for three four months and you're around this weird lifestyle where things happen and fuck you're with a hall of fame band and you're blowing up the world and people all around. You're so
0: cool. I'm like, uh, Ryan definitely has a pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was actually kind of thinking about this. Like, he's married, he's got kids.
1: <clears throat>
0: I, I would refer to it as the natural man. Obviously, the natural man has a tendency just to go to the lowest level. And like you yeah. said, some of the dudes that you're, you're surrounded with, some of them, I've had a hard time keeping focus.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard for everybody.
0: I, you'd be a you'd be a dumbass to deny
2: that. It's a it's a hard predicament to be in, but it really has to do. I don't want to take credit for it. It has to do with those people, not you, really. Yeah. I mean, first of all, your girl for sticking around. Yeah, and all the thoughts flowing through her mind about who you're with and what you're doing. And,
0: Oh, oh yeah, I'm in Thailand
2: today with a famous rock band. You're like, well, what's going on over
1: there?"
0: <laughs> yeah. and she has to be home taking care of the family, taking care of the yeah. house, like getting the kids a, to school, yeah. Which is another stress. Like yeah. that's a lot of stress, and then and then you're gone. But like I said, his wife is
2: amazing. Yeah, you have to I mean, be. She's a, a yeah. She's a. Uh, I mean, she's good looking.
0: <laughs>
2: she's, <laughs> I wasn't got, gonna say it. She's a great insane. mom. She's got three kids, you know, and she puts up with my bullshit, which is you know. Ridiculous to think about. Me, his honestly. kids
0: are pretty awesome too. i was my over kids at his are his house awesome. one night, his yeah. daughter came out and said, "Will you shut up? Yeah. I'm
2: trying to sleep." My kids don't fuck around. Yeah, <laughs> my daughter. And then like, his
0: son tried to choke me. Up.
2: Yeah, he's an animal. You'll hear about him one did day.
1: Did choke you
0: out? Yeah. <laughs> Only with Johnny's help. Yeah, he he has <laughs> some pointers.
2: Yeah. Jiu-jitsu, boxing, kid. You know, my daughters are, are brilliant piano players and great students. And, I'm just, I'm blessed for that. And it's like trying to keep that together, keep those people under my wing, so to speak, and to keep it all in order. It's It's been a challenge, you know, but the, and during COVID, it's, it's been actually kind of nice because I've been home a lot and uh, which is weird for everybody. This is probably
0: the most that you've been home. This is the exactly. most I've been home as an adult. Yeah. yeah,
2: as an adult. Usually I'm gone eight, eight nine months a year.
0: So um, with with being home that much, did it make you second guess going back on the road? Of course.
2: Yeah. It's one of those things where you find out. So I've already played this game. Uh, you know, once you start to tour with uh, bands and, and celebrities, you start making good money. It's no secret. You know, it's not bragging. It's not patting myself on the back. It's just what it is. You know, uh, you make good money, and uh, when you stop and you try to do something else, like for yourself, you're like, "Wow, this fucking sucks." <laughs> you're like, "I'm making half what I made for double the work." I don't like it. And then when someone calls you and says, hey, look, you're like, I'm on it. Because I, I just want to pay the bills. I want to I want to have a certain kind of lifestyle. And uh, everyone knows how much money they make. But if you had to work double for that same amount, you'd fucking big thumbs down. You know, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So I've done it. I've tried to stay home. I've tried to do local stuff. I try to work for people in L.A. and events and whatnot. No it's go. It's not the same. No go. And I'm not as good as it at it, you know. Like when I go on tour, like I feel at home. I feel like this is my this is my pocket. I'm good at this stuff, and so, everyone around me knows
0: it. So, do you do you train other people on how to do the types of things that you do in the in the security world? Yeah, I've trained. Well, you know, when you say train, I'm, it so could right, be, I guess what I'm saying, like if if Drew here decided, I would love to to try and be a, a celebrity man, like do what. Ryan,
2: I would say I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so every single day that I'm out in the world doing something, there's some security goon that comes up to me and says, "Hey man, you get into this? You got a family at home? Like it's the same? <laughs> it's the same line of questioning. Yeah, and I have the very generic answers for everybody." I don't know, man. No, no family. I just like I don't I want to get into it. He's right.
0: giving me that same answer. And some shit that I've had. Yeah, I, had I, don't I just go, no,
2: nah, man. It's just weird, man. It's a weird world. Anyway, I need you to do this. Like I don't even like. <laughs> why would I get? So the like,
0: answer to that question is no. Yeah. Brian will not help you become a celebrity. You know, what's person. funny. I brought in a guy. I've brought in a few
2: guys over twenty years. I mean, it's not often, and couple guys were special forces type dudes like straight A personalities like just nail hitters like it failed uh maybe seal come in failed he was bored uh then I had a dude who was out of a nightclub who you know usually nightclub bouncers I'm like fuck this like you you're not fit for this and uh there was something about him that I really like
0: funny because that's what you think
2: Nope. well yeah. I mean in college you know but not. But you didn't
0: have like extensive experience. I wasn't like an LA
2: nightclub view. that was yeah. Fucking Lawrence, Kansas bar, dude. You know, There's <laughs> thirty people in the bar. that was like, fed fed dude. Just yeah, doing your shit. forty bucks a and, night. Yeah. You
0: were you were what three fifty? Oh, 16, 350, Yeah,
2: five hundred pound bench press, throw people through walls. So it was no big deal. Uh, but I met this guy at a nightclub in Hollywood, and uh, he ended up working out. He was just he was dialed in, locked tight, and he got his own gigs after I kind of showed him stuff and brought him under my wing, and then. Right now, he looks after Prince Harry. You know, oh, uh, he's a royal family dude. And like, I've, I can't take credit for it. You know, uh, there's a guy that brought me into the game and brought some other really well known names into the security business. And, he, you know, he asked me, When are you going to buy me a Rolex for all the money you've made because of me? I'm like, Well, Never. You, you weren't there when I was going through this. You weren't there. You introduced me to some people. You showed me some stuff. Fantastic. You can shake your hand. Thank you. Same thing goes for him, like he looked after the rock for like four or five years. Dwayne Johnson, you know, and it's like I can't take credit for the dude, like he learned on his own. It, yeah, all this shit is it's the guy all him. That
0: you, the guy that you
2: brought in, yeah, he worked, that's, that's, went from nightclub to some other rock bands with female singers, and then he went to the rock, and then he's with the royal family. And it's like I won't say his name because the, the work he does now yeah. is very, yeah, you
0: know, I, 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 I think that almost. And I know it's not like monetary value, but the idea idea that you think about like, hey, I help, I help, I brought that guy in and now look how at the thing, the accomplishments. I think it's great. That's kind of, that's kind of like gratitude on its own where it's like, I'm happy that it worked out for the guy and I'm even happier that I made a good decision to bring him in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that person will always in the back of their mind remember what you've done for them and Maybe someday they'll maybe someday they'll repay you or, or whatever. But if they don't, who gives a fuck? You know, yeah. I don't have any plans to repay the guy that introduced me to people. I you just know, don't. You know
0: what I think? <laughs> I, and I'm not a part of that world. But I think one of the best things would be having a fucking drink with the dude and just sharing the fucking stories and yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a weird dynamic, man. I, unless you've done it, you know. I've been in twenty years, you know. So it's like we go twenty years ago. I was a dumbass. I was a knucklehead punching everybody. And it's like, yeah, I've come a long way, but that person that introduced me to people, he didn't mature me. He didn't make me into the man I am now. It was well, an he experience. Just, he just
1: got
0: you started.
2: He yeah, was, he
0: saw something in you, just like you saw in the nightclub guy. Yeah, and and, and they were right.
2: does not less than the fact that he put his faith into me. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's great, but it's, what does it work? You know,
0: exactly.
2: like yeah, I can I can put somebody on, but they, it mostly fails. You know, at this point. So. Crazy. All, All right. right,
0: cool. Last one. You ready for this one? Sure. By far my favorite question. We'll let that, uh,
2: Seven inches. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, right. <laughs> okay, okay, six. <laughs> Gertie, six oh, inches. Talking centimeters or what's going on? There? <laughs> All right. Who would you consider is your greatest hero? Oh God. Uh, you know what? I don't.
2: I don't look up to people in a weird way. I don't. Uh, I've never looked at somebody and said you're my hero. I've never done that. But I mean, it sounds retarded. I know you're not supposed to say that. That's how I feel. Uh, My parents. My parents are, it's a weird thing because I have a weird relationship with my folks. My dad worked for the federal government 30 years, worked for the state of California almost 20 years now. My mom was an educator, shrink. Uh, Very cold people. They weren't very, I don't remember getting hugged a lot. Uh, The first time my dad told me he loved me, I cried. I was like in college. I don't know why I'm crying. You know, uh, some weird emotional response that I didn't understand. It's because he never told me that. You know, yeah. it's just and it's not a bad thing because I didn't know the difference. I didn't grow up saying, "Oh, my parents told me they love me." They were just very, as a matter of fact, get up, and go to work, do your stuff, don't fuck around. You know, uh, and just don't be a pussy. You know, it was like it was a very weird way of being brought up. When I got punched in the face for the first time, I was in, I don't, know, seven years old in crenshaw boulevard in california south l.a got punched in my face my mom came and said why are you crying so that kid punched me in the face she said go over there and fight him (laughs) you know and i got made fun of by my entire family for crying after someone punched me in the face that was my wake up call like you're a man now
1: (laughs) don't let anyone punk you you know uh
2: but the things that they taught me as a kid it just helped me as an adult man all the stuff of being responsible being accountable and not being a pussy, not being emotional—don't don't put all that stuff out there. Just keep yourself tight and just do it. Uh, it was a big deal. It's supposed to carry me through my professional career and through my relationship. Really, even though I'm not the most loving person, like my kids will tell you, I'm not a very loving person. I'm kind of a cold person. But it's kind of how I was raised, and I don't mean to do that. I don't I don't get any I don't get off on being some kind of a tough guy, or <laughs> I don't consider myself a tough guy around my friends and family. I don't act that way. Um, but when it comes to real situations, I am very cold. I get, you know, when someone dies or whatever, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm Sorry not, yeah, not, uh, not going to sit on your, your gravestone and cry. Giant I can definitely chance.
0: resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. There. Yeah. People, people have told me that I'm not very compassionate because when things like that happen, I'm like, well, what, what, what am I supposed to do? Right. I, I feel bad. I feel bad. Somebody died. But, yeah, but Your emotions mean, are going to change it. But, yeah, I can't make a difference in the world by sitting over here and crying because my grandma died. Right. Obviously, that close to home, it, it, it might for a minute or for a while be devastating. But what are you going to do? Yeah. What do you – What do you? like I have a friend just recently from high school. We grew up wrestling together. We've known a long time. He committed suicide. And my other buddy called me and asked me on it. Like, Dan, did I talk to him like two weeks ago? That fucking sucks. Why I don't understand why you would do that, but I didn't. I I don't have any like yeah, emotional right. response towards it because what am I what am I gonna do? So like,
2: I, I grew up in Torrance, California, which a uh, big little league, uh, little league, little league, little uh, league, little league tournaments. Yeah, Torrance is a big so, yeah.
0: So I grew up in the Central Valley, in California. Go. Yeah, so Torrance,
2: heavy hitters. Yeah, so I grew up
0: like in a similar similar fashion that you did. You know, like. Percept in the face? Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> we he grew, grew up, up, up to be a pussy and he grew up to be a bad <laughs> a pussy. And you still cannot Shot. chug a beer fast oh, oh, oh that's fine. fine. that is, not, yeah, Chugging those, the, is now. Chugging a beer is now similar fashion. Grew up in a very rural area. You know, whereas if you had a dispute with somebody, you handle it on the, play, it. you, you handle it out back in school you handle yeah. it out back in the playground, you know. Yeah, I punched in the face the first time when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. And I told my dad about it. My dad was like, Did you win? <laughs> yeah. I go, Well, yeah, kind of. And he goes, What do you well what do you mean, kind of? Did you win or did you not win? I go, Well, you know, we both kinda like got tired and kinda quit. And he goes, You go back tomorrow and you fucking kick that kid down. Yeah, yeah, That's One funny because I was listening to a, a podcast and they were interviewing someone the other day and he said, Yeah, I got into a I got in, made fun of and and was kind of overweight in high school or in middle school, and they used to pour chocolate milk on my head. And one of the kids poured chocolate milk on my head and, and punched me, in, and they would run off. And I went home crying to my dad, and his dad said, "Well, kind of consoled him for a minute, and said, look, here's the deal. I want you to get out of the house, you go over to that to their house, and you beat the shit out of them, and don't come home unless you do it.'" Right. And he went over to the person's house, knocked on the door. Punched the kid in the face, the kid laid down on the ground crying, he went home, and his dad saw him saw through his knuckles and said, I'm proud of you. <laughs> right. And from then on they didn't speak about it. Yeah. But he goes, just raise you not to be a not to be a not to be a pussy and yeah. in general. I guess that's before the time where that twelve year old would have been the in jail we're for a soap. Tell in you now. what, the world needs more of that now. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that was when they were they were on this he was on this podcast being interviewed this guy he's 20 the guy was 25 now and he was being interviewed because he's made millions of dollars in what he does and this and that and he said when he was asked these same type of questions that was one of the most influential things that he remembered that steered him in the direction that he was in was that when he got way down his dad didn't hold him tight and coddle him and so exactly. oh it's going to be okay he said no Get the get the hell out of my house, don't come back until you until you've yeah. redeemed, until you've shown these people that you're not gonna take their shit. Right. Really? And from then on, nobody took it. It's weird now shit. because
2: I'm dealing with it, you know. So yeah. my, my girls are fine, they don't that's they don't punch people. But my <laughs> son, you <any laughs> guys have met my son, he's a knucklehead not- like me, and not-
0: his son literally tricked me out of
2: yeah, he's he is an ugly yeah, jujitsu, boxing, uh, uh who's stronger, who could fuck who up, like uh everything in his mind is uh who's in charge. Like he doesn't his brain thinks one way, it's very linear. <laughs> so I'm trying to like, I'm trying to deal with him, messing with other kids at school and the teachers and the principals are calling me, saying your son said this, your son did that. I'm like, Well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, well, no, you go to jail for that, you know. So I'm dealing with that now. It's like you, you can't be that way anymore and it's it sucks, but you know I'm trying to find the in between because I'm not going to uh, compromise my values
1: yeah.
2: uh, based on what everyone says. They should do. yeah.
0: That's what, that's one of the things I'm worried about. My kid's gonna be four at the end of the month, yeah, um, and so you know my kid is just a million million miles an hour yeah. until he until he goes to bed. Yeah, and so that's one, that's one of the things that I'm worried about. Like when he starts going to like kindergarten first grade. Oh, well, he's definitely. It's gonna happen. He's definitely beating some of that. Uh, more it, wait wait till I hit teenager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, more more, more than likely because even because like, even my dad. My dad my dad was kind of the same way. Like if I had like say a guy like you know like you picking on me in high school, my dad'd be like, okay oh, his ass. Yeah. I'm like, Dad, you don't understand. <laughs> like I know I'm smaller than the guy and I know, you know, I know I might get hurt out of this, but he's my dad's like, I don't care. Yeah. Go, you know, yeah,
1: go do it. To you a know?
0: fault. You know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you get hurt, if you get hurt, it is what it is. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things. So, you know, I kind of want to so the you know the same kind of principles on my kid yeah. as well. You know, not to take you know, shit from anybody and you know be as be his own person. Yeah, it's a thing. Well, right on. You guys got any other questions?
2: Well, I think, oh come on, you've got more.
0: <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know Ryan. I know Ryan pretty well. Goes yeah, I don't. I don't long. want to keep it too long. I mean, we, we really do appreciate you coming hanging out. It's, yeah, yeah, it's been a blast. He didn't race me in chugging Beer yet. So. <laughs> yeah, we will. Well, we're gonna do that off air. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna save the rest of those questions for the next time that I get him back okay. when he's those, not
1: yeah.
0: out saving celebrities from stalkers or traveling <laughs> to one of the. Well, I'm sure he's got to hit. Is there 54 countries? Like you've done 53. Like is 53? there one that you haven't done? Yeah, there's a bunch. I have nothing. There's like 110 in the world or something. But so if you down. got to yeah. choose the next one, here's my last question. What would what would you choose? Well, you know, we had one? we had Israel on uh, on the schedule.
2: We had a, we had a two on the schedule. I can't remember the other one, but uh, it's always the ones that I, I've never heard of. Like I was in uh, Ljubljana a couple of years ago. Yeah, Slovakia, Ljubia, which is not Libya. Uh, yeah, Slovenia, <laughs> no, Slovakia, Slovakia. East, <laughs> like, Eastern Europe, somewhere. Where over. am I at? Uh, Ljubljana. What a great place! <laughs> it was really nice. It was very peaceful. That's Eastern Eastern Europe. Europe yeah. yeah, I was like, what the you fuck? I can't even spell it. I couldn't spell it for you. Though. <laughs> never it's a place never heard of her. I mean, yeah, I'm in the country, like spinning around, talking to security guys. I'm like,
1: where the fuck are we? You know,
2: I have to like uh, take a screenshot from my maps and send it to everybody, but. Israel was one that has been eluding me. Uh, I, you know, I just went. I've been in the Middle East before, but Israel is the one that I've it's just escaped me for some reason for 20 years, and I don't understand why. It's yeah. been
0: on the schedule like five six times. I've never just made the Never trip. worked out. Yeah. Huh. I've had a bunch of friends travel to Israel, and they say it's. Yeah. They say, they say it's really nice. They say, like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, a lot of people speak English there. Like, a lot of people, you know, yeah. it's it's very, it's very, it's it's a very enjoyable trip. Yeah. There.
2: Istanbul, Turkey's another one. Because Istanbul's got a crazy history with Constantinople oh, yeah. and right. the Roman Empire. And, you know, I've got all these weird tattoos on me that have to do with that. So, I've, like, looked into it. and I've read up on the topic, and I, I talk about it a lot. But I want to go to Istanbul. I'm just going kind to of see the different sites that, you know. Well, you know, seeing the pictures in like, the old city, the new city, yeah. is kind of mingled together. That it, it, it would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just spent about a month in uh, Dubai. I've been to Abu Dhabi and Dubai before, but I spent an extended period of time there, and I learned a lot about the area, and the sheikdom, and what it means, and uh, the <laughs> political gains and failures in the area and stuff. It's really interesting stuff to spend time and talk to locals about what's going on and what they think about America, Americans, or whatever it is. It's pretty cool to get a uh, different perspective on life from other people. It's pretty rad.
0: Well, there you go, guys. Ryan, Atfield FieldWorks on Instagram. Where else, what else uh, do they need to know about you?
2: Well, I'm a stud. I'm number one in the
0: world. I'm the smartest man alive. Well, uh, he also has... He's so humble about it. <laughs> if, you're not, humble. <laughs> if you're not following him on Instagram, you need to be... He, just, he does silver drops. He's got yeah, I need a t-shirt line. Uh, he collaborates on different blades all the time. I don't understand makers. why i got to get my t-shirts delivered to my house. <laughs> and I just come pick them up. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know why I don't have one. But. But I'm
2: very hands-off with everything. Uh, anything that uh, has my name on it, or, I don't feel one. It. now i got to wait
1: for shipping.
2: And then you got some classes. I've some classes coming up. up. Yeah, I'm actually winding them down. So I've got, I'm doing, uh, I'm going to California now to go do, help a, uh, Make an appearance at a class with a buddy in California and uh, and then I go to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, do a class Beautiful out there. Yeah, yeah, I like Milwaukee. Yeah. I lot have other friends. I there. think I'm enrolled in your next one here at uh, Boise Yeah, at courses of action. Yeah, uh, I don't know uh, forward movement. Forward, forward, forward movement. Yeah, forward movement. I'm doing one there at Boise. Movement. Yeah, there you go. It's a one day class. So I break I break down the one day class into a four or five hour chunk instead of a sixteen hour. I'll be there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so he be if you need me as a test dummy for anything, yeah. I'm all for it. You do board. not you want figure. to be his test dummy. Uh, I'm am all, I'm all <laughs> for it. I'm not I'm not a pussy. And here's he the thing. <laughs> here's the the thing too. You don't want to team up with somebody that took that does jujitsu with him <laughs> <laughs> because I was trying to figure out the moves and I picked the one person in the yeah. whole room.
1: Well, that, was, that was a semi expert. <laughs> that was your problem when you did wrestling did. in yeah. the offseason. You didn't do fucking yeah. Greco Roman. Yeah. I don't even good. care
0: about that. I was about, got punched in the face like yeah. twelve times it with gets a weird. foam dildo.
1: I just laughed hysterically <laughs> in the corner.
2: It's
0: all good. Drunk. You just got to roll with punches.
2: Yeah. So I do uh, Milwaukee, Boise, and then I do uh, I do one in Tracy, California, with a couple of dudes. I'm doing Where a mixed skills class. Tracy, Tracy's north Northern California. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know, I know is. There's a guy named Grizzly Medical. Um, oh, okay. okay. Uh, goes by Grizzly Medical. Mr. Barnall, and uh, ASD Concepts, and Jared, we're going to talk about, Jared's a martial artist, he's a knife sword guy, uh, and Grizzly's
0: a, a medic, combat medic, so. I was just going to say, because I'm from the Central Valley, so Tracy's yeah. kind of you know, yeah, yeah. North, north of the Central Valley, and I sure. know Tracy very, very well.
2: Yeah, yeah. It'll be a good scene, three instructors, one class. We have a lot of plans, so that'll be a good one to hit. And then back on tour, August 15th, flight to Boston, and, this, you know, you TV. got
0: you got anything on your tour coming this side of yep.
2: the country? I'll be in Boise uh September twenty first, I think, twenty-fourth, somewhere in there. So you guys are all invited, okay. obviously. Woohoo! I'm for getting who? tickets for that kiss. one. Kiss. For kiss? The final end of the road tour. Oh, is oh, okay. Yeah. I'll I'll okay. get
0: tickets. Oh, so we'll get tickets for that. Well, you'll get tickets from me. So oh,
2: okay. It'll be fine.
0: We'll edit that part
2: out. I'm a ticket guy, <laughs> by the
0: way. So yeah. That's
2: rad. It'll be it'll be fine. Take
1: care of you guys.
0: Well, all right. Hell oh, yeah. Well, Never, I'm excited that Steve came down, got to meet Ryan. We had to have Drew in the shop here in special, studio. Don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a voice for radio. Did yeah. You notice that? Like, and and it, I don't think he really real. Yeah. I published his episode before we started. Yeah, like Drew oh, like, sure. we'll had to go up before we did this one because we were preempting this episode. So. We caught Ryan storming through the door, and it's like, <laughs> literally, eagles came yeah. flying through the we door with him. America. And uh, America, so, America came Drew definitely stuff. is going to be back on the show. Ryan is definitely going yeah, to come back on the show, maybe later always. in the year. As long as they feed me beer, I'm good. Yeah. Had, good. Drew has been nonstop feeding me beer. I'm about to pee my pants. Yeah, me too. So, we have got to yeah, cut this out. We're front load is on the way. Yeah. Is, so I I go, go to the bar after this? All right. Steve, okay. take us out. All right, you guys be safe. Thanks for hanging out. You can always find us, obviously, uh, on any of the podcasts or wherever you find our podcast. Plus you can get a hold of me at uh Rangeminded poc- at iShooting.com. Yeah, podcast at oh. podcast. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right, guys, years. be safe. Take somebody shooting, don't
1: do dumb.